Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go. Welcome to Ace Comicals episode number 61. So, we've had a bit of a break, but as promised, we have returned with our Endgame spoiler special. Because in case you haven't heard, or in case you've been like... I don't know, where could you have been living to have missed this? Some sort of abandoned garden on the other end of the universe, right? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Um, or you got snapped. You could have got snapped. Yeah, in case, in case you've been snapped and you, you've only just returned, um, this is, there's, there's this like this new Marvel film that's out at the cinema that you know we were going to spend like maybe the first twenty minutes of this show talking about before we start talking about Shazam. Um, uh, please, don't are talk we talking about, about Shazam? Shazam? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I missed it in the cinema. Please don't spoil it for me. Yeah. <laughs> So no, yeah, we're here to talk about Avengers Endgame, obviously, and uh, also Free Comic Book Day, which happened the uh, weekend just gone. So, um, Avengers Endgame is the culmination of 11 years and 22 movies. Uh, That is in the MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it is the ending of what has been called the Infinity Saga, am I right with that? Yeah. Is that what the kids are calling it these days? Yeah. If, okay. if by kids you mean Kevin Feige, then yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the ending of the Infinity Saga. Um, and uh, what an ending it has been. Um, so we'll kick off with a bit of free comic book day stuff. So, I mean, I found it quite lacking this year. I don't know about you two, but it was a little bit like deflating when we actually got to the comic book shops because i was i was hyped for it i was you know i was on my way down to london to meet you guys we're gonna chill for a weekend get some free get some comics get some free comics and you know just hang out and whatever but like i mean the hanging out part was great but the free comic book day bit like when we actually like hit the stores and everything it just seemed like people just didn't really care i think think they cared but um continue rahul (laughs) <laughs> I was going to agree with you. I was going to say, I think that might be a very like personal thing, because I think the first couple of times that we did this, everyone was in a really hype mood. We were all really excited. It was the first time you were coming to London to do Free Comic Book Day. The, you know, the, the sun was shining and like um, all the comics on display were like really cool and we were really excited about that. And I think this time, I think, I think we're all just a bit... Um, like in adult mode like i've been dealing with my recent house move stuff you guys had um had like a very long journey to get into london that morning and like i think it was just us because i had a, a colleague who i'd been talking to about free comic book day and this was his first free comic book day shout out to jack here at square enix who like was so excited about um attending his first free comic book day and we were supposed to meet up like the whole thing was that our group was supposed to catch up with his group and it just didn't happen because for whatever reason we were on a different sink but he was saying he had a great time um he went to gosh he got all the comics he wanted he happened to get there at the same time that jamie mckelvey was doing signings for the wicked and divine so he got a copy of uh wick div and got it signed by him 
Um, they went for dinner. They, you know, chilled in the park and all that kind of stuff. They basically did all the things that we did over the last couple of years. And I think it's just because they're younger and have more energy and are less jaded than we are. And, like, I think, I honestly think it was just us. I think, um, yeah. also, I think that the shops we went to, I guess maybe in the order that we did it, like, I feel like Forbidden Planet was very disappointing this year mm, um, yeah. because of the way that they distributed their comics. It was just a free-for-all on a giant table or even now a tiny see, table. <laughs> was that because we got there late or is that because... I don't know if your you're, you're other guy who... Um, if Jack was... When he went to Forbidden Planet, did he get a carrier bag full of comics or...? No, he went. He went super late. He went at like three p.m. Yeah, uh, because what? it sounds oh. like if Jamie McKelvey was at. Um, oh yeah, because gosh, we got there as they were setting that, up for that. Didn't yeah, we? so he yeah. he definitely did everything later than us. So I don't yeah. think it's down to the time because we weren't. The time wasn't that different than normal. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, it didn't help that it was. Um, the weather was very stop-start. It was, like, really bright and sunny one moment and then it was pissing down with rain the next. And, and windy. Just and, yeah. Add windy, and it did it on loop. And, it, yeah, I, I yeah. think it was just us. I think it was as good as it has always been and we were just not in the right yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think in the run-up, definitely me and you, Rahul, um, mm. I hadn't paid attention to anything in the running anyway. And when I checked the comics on Saturday morning um, yeah. before I uh, left to meet you guys, I just wasn't. Nothing jumped at me. Nothing was like, in the last two years that I've done this, there's been things on there where, and you know me, I'm di- I'm a digital guy. Um, apart from big trades, um, I'm a digital guy when it comes to single issues. But Free Comic Day is one of the few times in recent years that I actually get my hands on some some uh, floppies, if you want to call them that. And um, yeah, in the last two years, there's been s- such interesting comics where, like, just going through the list, like, I don't uh, keep up with any of the big running Marvel DC stuff, so I'm ne- never usually interested that much in those. But every now, there's a lot of um, indie slash, you know, like on Dark Horse or Image or something, there'll be something that has a really interesting name, interesting cover, and going against the adage, I'd be like, okay, that looks cool, I'll check it out. And most of the times, the comics that I picked up, um, just on the whim of how they sound, how they look, um, have been quite interesting, and some have actually converted into me uh, checking out the run. Whereas when I checked on Saturday morning, there just wasn't anything jumping out to me. And I, I've um, I've picked up some I picked up some things that seemed seemed cool, but I didn't have that I don't know that energy of like oh I, want, I hope I get my hands on this. Um, and to that fact, I haven't read anything. Um, I mean, it's been tougher this year because it's been quite busy. But, um, yeah, I haven't even read any of the comics that, uh, that mm. I picked up. That's a really good point, actually, because I'm just skimming through the stuff that they had in 2018. And there's some stuff that, like, immediately jumps out to me as being, like, must-have. So there was Barrier Number 1, which is the Brian K. Vaughan book. Um, there were Strangers in Paradise, Relay. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, Legend of Korra. Um, Berlin. Like, there's some really choice comics. Um, and I feel like, yeah, you're right, this year didn't have the same attraction for me either. Maxwell's Demons, God, that was something I was really into. Crush, yeah, yeah, there were some really good picks last year. You talked, and about, like, we've we've talked about Maxwell's Demons on this show like a lot. Yeah, I've talked God, about what, a bunch what, of those. Yeah, yeah. Was Strangers in Paradise the free comic book last year? We, it was, yeah. God, that cost me money <laughs> because <laughs> I just I just got I haven't even read them all yet, but I uh, read that one and it got me hooked onto the series, knowing there was so much that came before. So I, like, I found a good deal on mm. on a bunch and uh, and grabbed some. <laughs> it's like, I think, whoa. 
We I mean, actually, that's not to say that yeah. 2019 wasn't didn't have good picking because there's stuff like Interceptor and, um, and like Deadly Class, but yeah. I feel like those didn't grab my attention because I've already sort of got into them. They weren't like yeah. quote, quote discoveries for me this year. And so maybe that's what it is. Maybe it is just the, you know the wisdom of years slightly. Also, you, the fact that you didn't get your TMNT book from SCBD. yeah, I I I paid money for a free comic book on eBay. <laughs> but that's you look that's so a, disappointed. That's my my crippling turtles addiction. That's what that is. Also, uh, n- none of us, and I say Greg, we didn't do any signings or anything this year, which put no. us um, it put us less. Uh, in queues with other um, patrons, so we didn't really get that sort of social aspect of waiting around and people was... confusing us for being in the Supreme queue and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, I was almost tempted to go queue at Supreme just to get that feeling, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have sucked when you got to the end of that queue. Yeah, <laughs> I could have bought myself a brick. It's the opposite of free comic book day. It's expensive tap day. <laughs> expensive <laughs> tap day. <laughs> I, I'm going to loop back around there and blame yeah. the weather. It's the weather's fault. Yeah, let's blame the weather. But, I mean, like, I... I, I don't know. I, I felt like it was a little bit... It, again, like, like you're saying, wisdom of years. But I think when you bring up that 2018 comic book list from free comic book day 18... And I compare that to what I walked away with this year and what uh, what was on offer this year and what, what immediately jumped out at me this year and everything else. There's just so much less. Like, I mean, I'm not, saying the list, I'm not saying the list this year was bad. I'm just saying that there was nothing... Um, I feel like 2018's list was a little bit more... Um, exciting energizing Uh, yeah it had a little bit more pizzazz about it like the the, Mm. some of the comics that were on offer were a little bit more of something different rather than the usual you know fair from the big three or whatever and that kind of stuff so yeah fair enough i mean there's there's one thing that i'm glad that i picked up uh in 2019 i think this is going to grow on me um so something i didn't even ask for they just i you know i only wanted two books when i went into orbital comics and they said well let's just fill the other three with some recommendations and i kind of because i kind of know the guy behind the the counter he mm. just put in a few that i hope that he put in stuff that he thought i would like otherwise he was just giving random recommendations but either way he put in under the moon which is a catwoman tale oh which i is got basically that about yep. yeah the 15 year old selena kyle uh, yeah. book and yeah. that is really interesting and i want to give it another proper read and i'll probably end up buying the full graphic novel um yeah if and when it's out, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I saw it in um, in Orbital. That was um, that on was one of the ones I had on my list that I wanted. That was my little slice of Gotham from this free. Yeah, that was top of my list. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. I don't know if you've read the, the the free comic book day thing. Oh, it came out in April. Okay, yeah. So, I, I might yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, when uh, I um, when I disappeared for a while, I was in the indie section at Orbital, and I saw it saw it on the shelf, and I was. Tempted to pick it up, even though I hadn't even read the free comic book day. It's yeah. in the indie section? Shouldn't it be with the DC stuff? Well, it looked, yeah. Because it, it kind of looks more like a novel. Hmm. The way it's presented. Yeah. It's slightly smaller than a normal comic as well. Like, the free comic book yeah. day one is actually, it's actually slightly smaller. And it, it looks it looks cool. I've not actually read it yet, but I'm going to. Um, and we can probably talk about that on a future episode. Hmm. Um... Like, I mean, the only other one that jumped out for me was 
like other ones that jumped out for me was the transport the Transformers, the Turtles one, obviously. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> have you received that? Yeah. No, it's not come in the post yet. Well, we did have the bank holiday. Yeah, I'm still waiting for it to arrive. When it, it's um, it's basically the, it, it's something to do with what's happening currently in the Turtles comics in IDW Turtles comics, and it's like. I wanted it for completionist reasons and for the fact mm. that I, I want to read it so that I've got the whole thing going on. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, after that, we... Um, I think I think you're right, Ray. I think we were all just feeling like adults, which was sad. Tired. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I was a little bummed because two that I put on my list Saturday morning, um, apparently, for licensing reasons, hadn't been released over here. Oh, and that was yeah. the Kadansha collection and the Robotech comic. Oh, uh-huh, right, okay. Well, that does that, suck when that happens. Yeah, so that, that did add that did add to the deflation. Hmm. Oh, that sucks. Big style. I didn't even realise that they were missing because of that because I, like, I didn't even register those. <laughs> Damn. Well, you'll be able to pick them up on eBay, Leon, if you're after them. Well, what, what I'll do, I'll, I'll those those runs will probably be a couple issues in each. I mean, the Kadansha mm-hmm. one will be a collection, but my plan was to look up and see if they're any good and um, invest in maybe one of the trades or a few of the issues on Comixology. Yeah, not a bad idea. So by so, not being a license over here, they possibly made money out of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think after that, um, we just kind of, like, we got some food. We went to this... Um, a Japanese curry place, which I am reliably told is a famous chain in Japan. Yeah, Kokoichi Ben. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, and it was good. Um, and then uh, we went back and we chilled. You went to, you went to the Japan Center. Oh yeah, we went to the Japan Center. Yeah, and bought some mochis, and then we chilled, played Smash Bros, an awful lot of Smash Bros. Um. <laughs> played Mario Party. No, we didn't. I blocked that out. <laughs> that's because that's because you got... You, well, you didn't... Actually, no, because you came third in the end. I think the technical term was I got trounced for 90% of that game. <laughs> it was just it was just defeat after defeat and like loss after loss in a row. It was an awful first experience of Mario Party. I don't know what you're talking about. I had a great time. Shut <laughs> <laughs> This is no one Mario... believed in me during that game. No one believed, and then this I is what, this is what Mario came Party in is. and destroyed you guys. It, the it AI believed in you. You bribed <laughs> the AI. I don't know what you did. Mario Party brings in my, people in my together. own home as well. <laughs> Mario Party brings people together. It did. It did. <laughs> it, it, it brought it brought those stars to me as well, which is yeah. always good. Yeah. You There's something about winning on uh, Mario Party is like winning five times or anything else. So. It is, yeah. Like the feeling you get from like a, a single win on Mario Party is like, yeah, it's like it's like eight smash wins in a row. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially <laughs> in the fashion that I did it as well, it felt good. Yeah. Actually, I don't know, like, because I've I've still not come first on um, Tetris uh, Savage Lands, as I now call it, <laughs> um, where there's like. What what is ah oh, what Tetris ninety nine? Yeah, yeah, that's the real name of it, not Tetris Savage Lands. That's just what I call it in my head. Close but enough. I still, 
I've still not managed to come first on that yet, and I I don't know if that would feel as good as winning on Mario Party or not. It, it won't, and you know why? Why? Because like when you went on Fortnite or PUBG, um, there's not a big like da 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 da, and you get to like lap it up. Nope, you just you just roll. The timer starts again, <laughs> and then you've had that super high, like it uh, it's gone through your veins and it's hit you. Your endorphins are going off. And like an idiot, unless it's late, you jump in again. So I, I don't think it will. I think it'll be short-lived and you'll keep chasing the high again because you'll be like, I'm a champion now. I can do it again. And you won't do it again for ages. <laughs> Damn. That's depressing. <laughs> yeah, way to kill it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, Leon. you got to get that high, though. You've got to yeah. chase the high. Is that an Ice Cream Man comic book? I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> Issue number 13, The Gamer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Right. Um, speaking of which, that is on the pull list, but I'll come to that later. Um, so, yeah, that was free comic book day. We rounded it off by watching Thor Ragnarok and eating... We ordered well, loads and loads of loads and loads of Spider-Man pizza. Spider Verse as well. We did two. Comic oh yeah, movies. yeah. We watched Spider Verse. Mm-hmm. We did we did Spider Verse and then Ragnarok, and then uh, and then we just kind of like fizzled out from there. Went to sleep. To to like to to pull away from like the dour adultness that we're describing of our weekend. I think the really encouraging thing, which has always been a constant yeah. for Free Comic Book Day, is that there were a lot of families um, at the shops. There were a lot of kids. Uh, there were lots of like. Um, like families and children all doing like cosplay and just really excited and generally really into the whole vibe of it and that's I mean that's really what it's there for is to get yeah. you know young blood in interested in stories and interested in these wonderful characters and stuff and I think that it did its job as it always does so, also, yeah. also to add on to that in every shop that we were in the it felt like the queues for people buying stuff were longer than the queues for people trying to get comics and that yeah. was awesome. Yeah, that's always really yeah. encouraging. I mean, that's that's the other half of the draw, isn't it? Because I, yeah. I didn't realise this when I went to my first free comic book day, but the stores have to pay for every single issue that they yeah. they give out. And so it's good to see them get their return. And, yeah, they, and that's they... the thing. Like, I, I know that all of us uh, this year were, were being quite conscious by not grab-bagging and instead just getting what we want. Like, in a couple of shops, I only picked up three comics out of the five, two out of the five. Yeah. Yeah, I only I only took what I wanted this year. And, like, the comics, like, because, as you were saying, the stores have to pay for those comics. And then those comics are supposed to bring you in so you spend money because this whole day is about supporting your local comic book store, supporting your LCS, Mm -hmm. keeping comic book stores going and keeping them relevant and, you know, like, because they are, like, the lifeblood of the comics industry, basically. That's, That's where you go to get your comics and they they we need those we need comic book stores they're like good books for people and they're good you know they're they're good places it's always good to have that tangible place especially when you're a kid and you get to like run around and like pick up different things and flick through them like it's that's something we shouldn't lose so yeah it's good to see them like i I I flourish i remember being a kid um, and going through like back issue boxes and stuff and looking at old ex- issues of X-Men and things like that in the 90s and like it was just it was just awesome like to have this like whole archive in front of you and it was like a, a, like almost like a special thing to be able to go to the comic shop and check all this stuff out it, it was just super super cool 
and I I want other people to have that <laughs> so you know I want comic book shops to stay we need them for sure I think that rounds us up for free comic book day are we ready to dive in and start talking about Endgame well okay before we dive into Endgame there's a few I want to do my um, mm. like news reporter uh, talking about Ms. Marvel for a few minutes, if that's okay. Go for um, it, yeah. just got, I've got an update uh, because... So there's been a few new Ms. Marvel-related properties. There's been the new Sal- Saladin Ahmed Magnificent Ms. Marvel, um, which is, I think, is on issue number two at the minute. Um, and I just wanted to shout that out because that's, you know, uh, after the G. Willow Wilson run ended on a you know spectacular and really sweet note, it's nice to see Saladin Ahmed sort of changing the game, um, changing the status quo and making this these first couple of issues about family drama. And that's always nice to see. And the art is just as you know lovely and sweet as, as it always has been. There's the new Eve L. Ewing uh, Marvel team up featuring Spider-Man and Ms. Marvel. That's like a, uh, a Freaky Friday sort of twist up on... Where you know where Spider-Man and Ms. Marvel get get body swapped, that's really cool. And something that was just announced, uh, literally like 30 minutes before we started recording this, uh, the game itself um, has has been known has been a known quantity for a while. So I'm gonna, I'm talking about Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3: The Black Order, which is a Switch exclusive game that's coming out on July the 19th. But they just announced, literally like half an hour ago, that Ms. Marvel is going to be on the roster along with um, Miles and Sam. So that's that's really cool news for me and like i used to really like the old ultimate alliance games um they got remastered for the pc like i think a year or two ago and to not very much acclaim i think they're pretty poor ports on steam when they came out so it'd be nice i'm hoping fingers crossed that ultimate alliance 3 will be you know live up to the, the old ps2 levels of quality but it would just be nice to have another superhero action rpg you know to to mess about with and if you don't know what ultimate alliance is it's kind of like diablo with marvel characters so if that's up your alley keep uh keep an eye out for that and that's out on july the 19th we might have to play that i think we will yeah because yeah. it's got local and um online multiplayer so yeah, yeah that should be cool we might have to play that um mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah on the new side of things um i just wanted to shout out that these savage shores number four is going to be out on this free comic, this new comic book day, which is the 8th of May. And we reviewed that in the previous episode. So if you want to hear us talk about it, go back to the episode before this one and check out what we had to say. Because it's great. Um, and now, on to the movie, I guess. So... Avengers Endgame let's kick it off with a favourite topic of discussion when we talk about cinema trips (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about the cinema experience (laughs) well let's talk about yours first Greg because what was yours like well I, I ended up going late so I had to wait until the Tuesday after it got released to go watch it so I was like wearing ear defenders and stuff for like a whole weekend (laughs) and trying like to avoid spoilers which i managed to do really well um i didn't even have to try too hard to avoid spoilers actually because you guys were all talking about muting words on twitter and things like that i don't know what kind of savage people you follow (laughs) but (laughs) 
Like I didn't, I didn't have any of that trouble at all. I didn't have to mute anything or unfollow anyone. I was fine. I think um, it's interesting because I I found that online people were actually surprisingly respectful of spoilers for yeah. Endgame, and I think it's because it, it casts such a wide net. Like it's such a phenomenon that like all these different segments of people are equally invested in the story. So not I think yeah. yeah I think there wasn't much spoilery crap going around. It wasn't like The Last Jedi or you know Force Awakens where people were dropping spoilers into like Reddit posts and stuff so you can't even avoid it. Didn't see any of that. Yeah, because when I unmuted like the twenty five to thirty terms that I had <laughs> muted in the run up to this film, there wasn't that much. And I think that's due to the capitalist push that <laughs> <laughs> Disney have put on this movie to hide spoilers, which has um, instead driven people to the cinema on the opening weekend and yeah. helps it break all these records. Um, but yeah, I think what's happened, what I heard is that places like Reddit, uh, apart from the designated subreddit for it, they were cracking down so people were getting like big bans if they um, tried to drop spoilers in, in other areas. Mm. And I think... Um, Facebook meme groups were like that as well. I saw on Instagram, um, so um, channels which are like companies or pages which post loads of things that are not just one person. I saw a lot of them um, where they'd be like um, Endgame spoiler, uh, like, you know, in the autoplay videos, and it'd be like um, Endgame spoiler in five for giving people mm-hmm. the chance to click away. Or like on the images, you know, you can... Um, and like swipe left to go right in the image. Hmm. There's ones where it'd be like the third, the third image would be the spoiler meme joke, whatever. But the first two pages, not just the first one, but the first two would be like spoiler incoming, and then second one, are you sure spoiler incoming? So I hmm. think uh, people were rallying around um, as units to to not be as douchey, but you still have those outliers. Um, and like the main reason I did it because I don't really follow. Um, douchey outliers but what I do follow are a lot of um, culture critics and film critics and stuff like that mm. and they're not going to b- drop big spoilers uh, in a tweet obviously but they're going to do annoying things like promote um, their write-ups um, which are going to tell me more than I want to know before I see the movie so um, that's that's why I do it with Game of Thrones as well so um yeah, it seemed it seemed roughly like the amount of people who've only who've seen the movie quite late and have told me they've not had any spoilers and have not changed their internet habits at all is mind blowing. Yeah, it's just weird. Like I I mean I I can't say I've ever had trouble with spoilers for films anyway at any point like on 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 social media feeds or anything like that. Myself, I can't say, yeah, I, I can't, I can't say I've ever really had that kind of trouble because I, I mean, like I say, I don't know, I don't know who these people are that you guys insist on following, but <laughs> I think gonna... me and Leon are a little bit more online than you are as well sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. Actually, I live in a log cabin and like, <laughs> grow my fingernails and stuff. So no, I'm not that bad. But yeah, you're right. I think you guys, I think you guys are more on Twitter and more on Facebook than I am sometimes. So yeah. Um, so my cinema experience was Cine Deluxe, um, with Sophie, and we booked seats for the director's hall. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, we've, we've made it a thing now, we're like, why would we ever go 
to one of the normal screens when we can just go to the director's hall and spend roughly the same money anyway. Mm. Like, because you get a drink and popcorn included, so... Um, drink and popcorn? Yeah, when you... three-hour Marvel movie? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I kind of did the nil-by-mouth thing, and I made the drink last, so... Oh, okay. I was, I was good. I didn't get it once during that film. That's more a commentary on the state of my bladder than yours, if anything, Greg. So don't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was good. Um, Did anyone do the annoying thing that they're allowed to do and order drinks and food during the film? I find no. that the most destructive thing about the No, directors. actually, nobody did that. In fact, they I... were scared of pissing their pants. In fact, actually, I've, I've, like, of the, all the films I've seen in the director's hall, no one's ever done that. Why did you get all these perfect cinema experiences? I don't Fun know. <laughs> because because <laughs> I, I, I go at decent times. Like, that was 8 o'clock on a Tuesday evening. Like, who goes to the cinema <laughs> at 8 o'clock on a Tuesday evening unless they oh. really, really, really want to see the film? Like, no one no one just wanders in off the street at 8 o'clock on a Tuesday evening and goes, I'm bored, let's watch a film. No, I don't know. Tuesdays and Wednesdays tend to be the most savage because that's when you get the, the you know, what well, used to be Orange Wednesday, but now, like, Meerkat, Tuesday, Wednesday, buy one, get one free offers. Oh, we didn't get any like, savages. It was fine. Okay. I imagine I left more, Leicester yeah. and it became a utopia. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> the whole the whole reason I didn't want to go like one of the reasons I didn't want to go opening weekend is because I knew the cinema would be full of savages. So well, <laughs> so on on that note, our cinema experience on the Thursday afternoon. So we, me, Leon, yeah. and Marvin saw it uh, on the Thursday of release at four p.m. and it was a packed screening. Full of people, much like us, who must have left work a little bit earlier than normal to to attend and see it before everybody else. You know, all the rest of us, night fivers, and it was a fucking amazing experience. Everybody was super into. Like the the audience was really vocal for a start. Like they were very noisy, but because everybody was in it as a collective, it sort of elevated the experience instead when, of being yeah. Hmm. And when you say noisy, sorry, you don't mean people talking, you mean gasps and wows. And, Ga- gasps yeah. and laughter and clapping yeah. and like whooping and hollering and all that, you know, that kind of um, reactionary stuff instead yeah. of being disruptive. And it was it was a really cool experience. It was really like, great. Everyone was engaged. Everyone mm. was in it for these uh, 11 years. You could feel it. Like everybody was in the endgame now. And <laughs> it's one of the best cinema experiences I've, I've ever been to because, you know... Uh, Normally, I, I, I like um, a, a quieter cinema, but I like when people... I, I hate when I'm in a cinema where people are talking, obviously, or doing other things like mobile phones, blah, blah. But then I also kind of hate when you're in a film and the audience sort of deflates the comedy by not laughing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I kind of hate that experience as well. So I, I like when there's a good balance between the two, which is why... Often I will go to um, an opening weekend showing of a movie and not just for spoilers. I do kind of like that experience, but obviously it's very hit or miss. Mm. Like there's something like seeing this, uh, like what what is probably going to be the biggest movie of all time on the opening day and not at some stupid midnight thing where I'd fall asleep. Uh, It was just perfect. Everybody was so engaged, so hyped up. And there was just the engagement with the movie. It was like... uh, a conversation, but not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just so nice that like, there's certain certain things that we'll talk about in spoilers that where, when they happen, the the cheers, like the energy, just surged through the room. It was great. 
Yeah. What was your second experience like, Leon? Because I found that my... I'm so glad that I saw it this way the first time, because when I saw it the second time, I had exactly the thing you just said where people weren't really engaging. And it wasn't like it was, I went to an empty screening. It was like 80% full, I think, in the same screen, in fact, like the same Leicester Square super screen with the with the great audio and the great screen and everything. But people just weren't reacting to it the same way. People weren't really laughing or like, uh, you know, sniffling or, what you know, whatever. And mm. I felt like I... It sort of, it gave me a better experience in some ways because it meant I could focus on the film in places that I was a little bit more distracted. Yeah, because it's lines you miss when people are sharing. Exactly. But it also did mean that some of the things that hit me really hard the first time around didn't hit as hard the second time. So, yeah, what was yours like? Yeah, so mine was kind of similar. So I saw it yesterday on a whim where I I was in central London and and, uh, I looked at the times for the... um, Odeon uh, Cinema Lux, I think it's called. Oh, which the, is the Dolby the, one. Yeah, the the first Dolby cinema in the UK. And I looked at it and, like, uh, I was kind of debating it because the thing is, the thing with this cinema is, like, we we have our Cineworld Pass, which costs us, like, around 20, 20 English pounds uh, <laughs> to see unlimited movies. And the only thing that stops us is time, and <laughs> time really does stop us. But... um. With this, the ticket almost cost how much I pay each month for that to see this one movie. But I wasn't really bothered by that because I wanted the experience. And the thing is, historically, back when the cinema was just an Odeon and it's always been the place of like premieres in the West End and stuff, mm. I've always thought it was an overrated cinema and I never understood the hype for it. I'd, I've been there several times before in the past and I thought the project, projection used to be bad in, uh, in the past. I thought the sound was echoey in the past, and I thought, like, the circle seats are just too high up, so the screen looks small, blah, 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 blah. Like, I've, I've just always had my diatribes against the cinema. But now as a Dolby cinema, I wanted to check it out, because one of the things that that annoys me sometimes at the cinema is that for as good as the picture can be, and as obviously as perfect as the sound is, the contrast is often terrible in the cinema. Mm-hmm. Like, the black levels are often garbage. And we saw that with stuff like um, Black Panther, Black where Panther uh, yeah. yeah, they fully destroyed Rachel Morrison's cinematography during the nighttime scenes. You just can't see anything mm-hmm. because the contrast is so low. So um, it was it was cool to like. I wanted to check it out. I just had to do it. So I got I got a seat in the in the circle because they they sell seats which are like the ones that they hype you up for when you go on the page. That's in the number one spot where you're meant to click is the recliner ones. And the idea of that seems weird to me. So you get a seat closer to the screen, but because you're lying back, you're like, you've got it all in your view still. But I don't know about that because it seems like not a great solution because you're still quite close. And if I'm reclining, I'm going to fall asleep. <laughs> so I, I don't know. And I'm sure the tickets are like 40 quid or something like that. It's like, who's doing this? <laughs> Which That's one insane. presenter is paying to nap during expensive movies? I just don't understand. But, but um, yeah, I, I was sat in the circle. I, I bought the most expensive seats you could buy for the circle. Um, and, yeah, the, the seats are really nice, plush. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll say the good bits first is that the image, well, the sound is unbelievable, but it's Dolby Atmos. You, you, mm. We get that super screen all the time, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, like, the, the, yeah, the visuals are unbelievable. Was, um, the visuals are unbelievable because, like, it was like it was like you're watching a movie on OLED, but in the cinema. Like the, nice. the contrast yeah. was immense. Um, and 
yeah, like it, it was great. Uh, it was a great viewing experience. But yeah, my audience were like not as engaged. They were engaged in the obvious comedy and stuff, and people did people did still like gasp and and uh, sort of cheer, applaud during certain bits, but not uh, as as infused as the the showing we saw. And bear in mind, a lot of times passed. Uh, but it, uh, yeah, it was in, it was in no ways um, a deflated experience, but it was definitely a lot less energy, um, and I'm happy that's not the first yeah. way I, I saw the movie. Do you do you think that maybe the fact that this is the second time you're watching this movie and you kind of know what's coming, do you think that might play into the fact that certain things like you were numb number to certain things in the no, film or whatever? No, I don't I, think that's what I was referring to. Yeah, yeah I think it was mm. specifically saying the audience. Yeah, the, the, audience, the audience and the atmosphere. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I uh, like when I went to see it, I I, I didn't have anywhere near like the electric audience you guys are describing. I just had like silent respectful audience like no one really kind of like you could hear people like laughing at bits that were supposed to be funny or like gasping or whatever but it was like it was like they were doing it quietly to try not to disturb everyone else like yeah, it, yeah. in any other movie that would be amazing yeah <laughs> yeah but, but like the, th- yeah. the thing is my second viewing like i actually came to appreciate the film so much more if if we're going by the amount of times that the film made me cry I think it was a couple times more the second time round than it was the first, and it was already quite high the first time round. So yeah, yeah. That, yeah uh, sorry, no, I was going to say that's my metric. How many times it made me weep? Yeah, because that, that's what I was going to to say after um, is that in, in response to just seeing the movie again, like lower it, because I know what's going to happen. But like last last episode when I was, when I was talking about rewatching all the MC movies. Like one of my main points is that every time I watch those movies, they get better for me. And some of the movies that I saw once and was very lukewarm on, I have now seen them a couple of times. Um, I I'm, either appreciate them more, or in some cases, I think they're amazing. So it's definitely not that, and it, it yeah, it's definitely a thing where it's, there's things I picked up more on a second viewing. Um, uh, there's like themes that I, that I felt were more apparent, which I thought like the first time I thought maybe they they skimmed over them a little bit. Mm. And I got to look in different places during action scenes, which is something that I try try to do on on re- repeat viewings. Um, and yeah, I felt from that stance it, it was really really good. Um, mm. Not as good as the first time, but it was still really good, and the presentation yeah. was amazing. The downside of that Dolby Cinema experience there is that in most stadium seating cinemas, you're high enough that no matter what the, for, the for, um, person in front of you is doing, unless they're standing up, they're never going to block the screen at all for you. And also the, the seats are generally uh, uh, slightly off by one, so you're, you're looking over two people's shoulders instead of looking over someone's head, generally. But in this one, all of them are in line, so you're looking directly yeah. over someone's head, and oh. the, the stadium tier in, in the circle is not is not as high, so I didn't have a head in my way. But at the beginning of the movie, the guy who was sitting in front of me was leaning forward um, a bit, and his head was all, almost hitting the frame for me. And I was getting anxiety that this <laughs> stupid idiot, his head is going to get he's going to get in the way later in the movie because if he's sitting up now, <laughs> what's he going to be doing later on in the movie? 
Um, but luckily, his head didn't intrude the frame too much. Luckily, it being a um, an anamorphically shot movie. But uh, yeah, like I was thinking, this is like twenty quid. Like, and then imagine you're here to see a movie, and then somebody in front of you just got a massive head or just leans forward the whole imagine, time. Imagine you're That's short like me, and you go to see a movie in a normal cinema. Well, yeah. See, you thought Generalissimo Rahul was bad, but Generalissimo Leon would be, like, chopping off heads. <laughs> uh, but uh, another downside is, like, the way the seats are, it's kind of like there's a bunch of um, single sofas by mm. each other. So, you know, normally in cinema, your seats are, like, packed together, and it's kind of like there's a wall. So you mm. can't... I wouldn't be able to, in between seats, like, pass anything back. I'd have to pass it over the seat. In yeah. this one, those gaps are there. <laughs> what makes it more annoyingly apparent is that you could turn around at some point for whatever reason, and someone, if they're crossing their legs, their foot, you realise how close their foot would be to your head in the chair. And I think you're like, oh, this is, this is awful. This is, this is an awful experience. <laughs> That's like people, people taking their shoes off and putting their feet on yeah. the back of your chair, like either side of your head while you're watching the film because they're in the row behind you or something. Yeah, it's still ignorance when you've got a wall behind you, but when it's, when yeah, it's exactly. like an open space. <laughs> like, so, like, that, uh, all of these things were, like, uh, alarming to me. <laughs> and and it, it, it made me think, like, is the picture quality... Uh, well, is it worth the money? No, but is the, is the picture quality worth these um, other possible inclinations that could happen? Bear in mind knowing that that's 20 quid down the drain, whereas, like, my cinema card's like, meh. It's a bad showing, but blah, blah, but I'm not that worse off for it. And it's like, it's been plaguing my mind ever since. So uh, be, be careful, people. Be careful. It's, it sounds to me like you don't think it was worth it, Leon. <laughs> uh, no, uh, in, in terms of my enjoyment, it was worth it. But yeah. looking at the possible hiccups yeah. that could happen, like if if he if the guy in front of me had sat forward the whole time, yeah. if when I looked back someone had, was, had taken their shoes and socks off and had rested their feet right yeah. close to that gap where my head is, then yeah. yes, it, it would have been an awful experience. But so, uh, yeah, I, I, I know what it's like in one of the other 14,605,000 uh, possibilities. <laughs> so, um, like, a question that I wanted to pose to you guys, just like as we're, while we're still giving a kind of general impression of what we got from this film and things like that, what do you feel made this a good finale for the past 11 years of the MCU? It is difficult to answer that without spoiling, uh, but it, I think it does. It does have a nice thematic, like loose end tying thing to it. And I'm going to be careful how I word this, but like for every moment where you think you know what's going to happen, or for every like foregone conclusion, they avoid doing. They avoid doing the like the cinematography version of aha, I bet you didn't see that coming when it is in fact something you would see coming a mile off. Instead of doing that, they would they would present it very mutedly and then to undercut the thing that would be like the aha moment, they write in some really like deft and emotional character drama. And I think they do that over and over and over and over again in this movie in ways that draw upon like uh, the amount of time you've invested in the past, you know, decade and 22 movies of this entire cinematic universe, they, you know, they hearken back to previous themes, previous, um, you know, story beats, previous action moments and stuff in a way that's really rewarding. And 
they just it's just a whole film full of that and it's there's so much pathos in in this whole arc and yeah i think it's a it's a really good bookend to this you know phase one to three whatever you want to call it this uh, infinity saga 22 movie cycle and uh leon what about you can you answer that yeah i echo pretty much all that um rahul just said um i think that if you think about these as what they are which is uh cinematic TV episode. Um, this is a really good uh, series finale. Um, it manages to honour all the things that came before um, and in some ways uh, tie the bow on them, but in other ways evolve them into something um even better than before, so it becomes more than the sum of its parts. And I think that it, I mean, I think it it sorts out a lot of, a lot of, uh, in some ways it fixes some issues of previous movies. And I think that it manages to stick the landing for the most part and set us up for what's ever coming next while giving a good send-off to what we've had um, been been building up to, so yeah, it's, it's been it, it it's a weird thing to think about it like this way because yeah, it is eleven years and twenty two movies and it's in a lot of ways cinema has changed around this and it's the only big example of a shared cinematic universe actually working out. Um, and a- actually get getting to its end point because before this I'd say one of the uh, in terms of blockbuster movie making the Harry Potter franchise was something that when it started I thought they'll never be able to do at the time what you'd think seven but in the end eight, eight movies mm-hmm. with mostly the same cast uh, mostly the same creative team getting getting to tell their story from beginning to, to, to end like it feels so improbable and what uh, Marvel Studios have done with, with this is even more improbable. And there wasn't any roadmap, uh, really. It was just yeah. um, just a good idea of uh, putting a, put a tag at the end of some of these beginning movies. See what happens if the movies do well. Build on them and uh, try and try and uh, bring everything together. And yeah. Uh, it's it's something that I never thought I'd see, and like I I I've said many times, I, I'm I'm not as big of a fan of these movies as some other people, but I think this uh, achievement um, is monumental, and I think that Endgame definitely, uh, as Rafael said, is is a is a, is a good uh, good bookend to all of this. Yeah, definitely. Um... I, I I agree and echo with what both of you have just said, really. I mean, I I just can't get over the 22 films that are all linked in some way. It's just so vast and so... It's such a, such a huge undertaking and such a huge amount of work. And 22 films in 11 years, that's, that's good going. That's two films a year. You know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really audacious. And the fact yeah. that it was done... It's relatively uncynically because, like, if you look at stuff like the the DCU, where they're clearly playing catch up, whereas 
I, you know, the MCU, it's sort of done on a, it, it built up on a case by case basis up until yeah. they hit Avengers and then, they, you know, they'd figured out their template and they figured out how they wanted to project their stories going forward. Up until then, it was all sort of in the air and they were, they were making it up as they went along in some ways. Mm. And to see but, that culminate in yeah. such a professional way, like in such a, like professional and, I don't know, just, um, like fan pleasing way. Like it knows its audience so well. It's it's really wonderful in some ways. Like despite being such a money maker, despite being you know like commercialism at its highest in a lot of ways, the fact that it can deliver something so good, like as a cultural touchstone, it's it's wild to me. It's just yeah, it. it I I just still can't get over the fact that the vastness of it. It's like the scale of what they've managed to achieve. <laughs> With these twenty-two individual linked films, like that's like that that average two films, like I've just said, average two films a year Mm. over eleven years, because that's like so that studio has pumped out like it's incredible. (laughs) I I think for the most part, they they realised or they figured out how to not write themselves into a corner too much, Um, and that's definitely you know paid dividends in that they can constantly keep branching out instead of having to fold yeah. in on themselves and it's just like look at where we're at now and you could ask you know you could ask um the least comic book uh you know friendly person on the street if they know a particular character and you know there's chances are that they would know exactly what you're talking about and that's yeah that's immense because it's it's actually part of the cultural zeitgeist now Mm. it's like you know it's it's bigger than star wars it's bigger than like i can't i mean like what what i what i struggle to wrap my head around i mean you talk about like not writing themselves into corners and things like that but like how they managed to keep the hype as it were rolling like how they managed to keep people interested like yeah they're masters of pr they're masters of like that um human psychology knowing how to yeah like drip feeders information and drip feeders hype and like keep us invested and keep us interested while also actually delivering on the promises. Mm. Yeah, because I mean that that takes a lot of skill. I think. Over over the eleven years, like the, the the excitement for Marvel Universe films didn't taper off. It it just snowballed, mm. and that's why we end up with this movie now, Endgame, making ridiculous money that it's making. You know, like with with the ridiculous amount of tickets that have been sold and everything else, because literally the entire world wants to watch it. It's insane. <laughs> Absolutely insane. Um I, I, I don't actually you know, like of of people that I've spoken to, I don't I don't know if there is like one person that doesn't I don't know, it, I mean, have you ever come across somebody who doesn't want to watch this film yet, Leon? Not personally, but I, I know that there are gonna be people who for the first time they watch us will be on Disney Plus. That's a or, thought. <laughs> or Blu ray or something. Um, yeah. I think there are. I mean, those people will exist. Uh, anyone who anyone who actively wants to ignore it, like anyone who's like, I'm not going to watch this. I, oh, there'll, not... there'll definitely be people. I mean, there's going to be yeah. people who only watch it just because it's part of the conversation, even if they hate yeah. hate most of the Marvel movies. They'll watch it because you've got to be part of the conversation. It, it's it's pop culture. But um, yeah, there's definitely going to be diehards who will be like. Man, I don't I don't really care. I know people who uh, like don't don't see any of the Marvel movies in the cinema. Uh, mm. Not their not their thing. Um, I mean, it's, you have to you have to remember that 
there's there's so many different more segments of audience than just us. We're mm. very, I mean, sure, we're a big majority, um, but there's there's so many other different like ways that people engage with this stuff. Oh, and like I know, yeah, one yeah. thing that um, one thing that Marvel did or Marvel Disney or whatever did that's really smart, I think, especially with these last couple of movies, is like Infinity War came out in the cinema and then they put it on Netflix for the people to. Um, who don't go out to the cinema to watch this stuff, give them an opportunity to watch it at home, uh, you know, in a, in a legal manner. And then you, in some ways they almost, it's almost unprecedented that they got to drum up bigger sales for the sequel than they did for the prequel. You know, it's, it's because they gave all this opportunity to get invested and then return to it later. I think that's, that's is really clever and really interesting to see how that dynamic worked. Like, and I'm that's the thing, sure like, like if you, even if you don't care, the snap became a pop culture meme. Like not meme in meme in the internet sense, yes, but meme is in a, a cultural thing. It became that. So if you miss that in the cinema, there's no way in hell that you want to miss it. You might miss yeah. what happens with the conclusion. So yeah. I think all of that has just helped feed into uh, feed into this that whole machine monster that is the end game, and. A very enjoyable monster that it is, because I I I had a good time when I went to watch it, and I I think uh, you know to echo what you guys have said, I think it makes a great a great bookend to this twenty two years, uh, twenty two films, eleven years, not twenty two years, jeez, <laughs> twenty two film, eleven year saga, um, that we've been building up to, like the Infinity Saga as it's now called, or as people are calling it. Um, I've not heard that term before. Has that been kicking around for a while? No, I think it only dropped like uh, last year or maybe earlier this year. Okay, because the first from, time from I've come Feige across himself. It, yeah, the first time I've actually come across that in the the call it people calling this the Infinity Saga is like quite recently. So, but yeah, um, I just I just think it's amazing and I think it's great and I'm gonna have to go back and catch it a second time at the cinema to because. I, I I feel like as much as I can talk about it here right now on this cast, my opinions are going to be half formed, and you guys are going to have a better idea because you've seen it twice. But yeah. Um, oh yeah, should we no. just start diving into spoilers? Yes, yeah. we've we've talked yeah. about our cinema experience. We've tiptoed around how it made us feel and like the cultural zeitgeist of it all. Let's yeah. just, we haven't even talked about plot at all yet. No. So where should where should we begin with that? Should we, do you want to give your your spoiler buffer like now? Yeah, let's do let's do the spoiler buffer. So, um if you're if you haven't seen Endgame yet and uh you obviously want to avoid spoilers, then this is where you should stop listening. I don't know um, how you got an hour into our waffle if you haven't seen yeah, Endgame yet. I, I don't know I don't know why you even started listening to this episode if you haven't seen Endgame. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, if you haven't seen but obviously maybe you just wanted to hear us talk about free comic book day but if you haven't seen Endgame yet this is where you should stop listening and uh we will time st- well this is going to obviously be time stamped as well for when the spoilers begin so yeah uh stop listening now get your tickets booked get to the cinema and go and watch it okay so that should be everybody who shouldn't be listening has stopped listening. So now we can actually dive in and actually start like talking about this film plot wise and 
get to discussing some spoilery points and talk about what it is exactly that made this film tick for us, what it is we loved about it and everything else. So, um, do you want to start, Ray? I was going to ask, how do you want to do this? Because like, we could go through it beat by beat, but there's so many beats. Like, there's there's about five major arcs, or acts, I think, um, in this film. But I, I think it's best just to like try and go through it in order as much as we can without getting too bogged down with the details. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Yeah, I can I can go with that. I mean, like, I, I want to start with the opening, because that's like... Yeah. That opening is immense. I love that, like, the cold open where it opens on, on Hawkeye, like, just hanging out with his family, and you know that like, you have a sense of foreboding already because there's no soundtrack. It's just him teaching yeah. his daughter how to, uh, how to fire a bow and arrow. He turns around for one split second, and the next, all you see is, like, leaves blowing in the wind, which is, like, his family having been dusted, and he has no idea what's going on. It's a fantastic start, and it had, like, yeah. it had... It jerked some tears out of me right from the get-go. Like, how, how did you feel about that? Me? Yeah, you. Um, you. I didn't cry once in this entire film. I must have a heart of stone <laughs> or something. Because, like... <laughs> honestly, I, I, I mean, I was, I, was, I was baiting you into that reaction. But yeah, yeah I, I didn't... I honestly did not shed a single tear in this film. And I don't know why that is. Like, of all the people that would get emotional about superhero shit, it should be me. But I didn't. I, di- I just didn't cry at all. I was just like, oh, okay. And like when, when the, the beginning of this film, the opening, I mean, it's a cool opening. I, I really enjoyed like how they did that. And you knew it was coming and you knew it was going to happen. And I kind of knew before the film, before even going in to watch the film, I sort of knew that we were going to watch Hawkeye's family get dusted. And... I don't know what it is about that moment in this film, or the way it worked, or, or maybe it's what Hawkeye did afterwards, but <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, it just felt like such a bad action movie trope. Like, they came for his family, and now he wants revenge kind of thing. Like, yeah, I guess it doesn't help that he became a bit of an embarrassment yeah, so, <laughs> a, a, a bit in, in reaction to all that grief that he had to go yeah, through. Yeah, so he, he became one of the Expendables. <laughs> like <laughs> he got a bad haircut and a tattoo and he could easily have been one of the expendables um <laughs> when he became leon running. leon 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 how how much how much were you crying at the opening like let's just dive into that how, how emotional yeah. were you throughout this film in general uh i don't usually like cry at movies like the the closest i'll get is my eyes will get all like wet and blah blah, <laughs> blah. but if crying is uh, tears going down uh, your cheeks, then that doesn't usually happen to me. But in terms of like the choked up element, um, I didn't get it at that beginning scene. Um, but I thought that beginning scene was super effective. But th- there are scenes later on in the movie that will hit, mm. that will get me. And I think this is connected to a thing I generally have with cinema. So um, people dying in movies never uh, switches on the waterworks or chokes me up. Uh, the thing that gets me in relate in relation to people dying is watching the, someone grieve um, mm. over that person. Like, someone's crying face will get me a million more times than the person or animal that has died that's caused that. Um, 
something about the the effect of the thing happening rather than the actual thing is something that moves me. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean that that was. It's a great it's a great way to open the film. It was a great scene, and it's a great way to bring you back in to what is happening and and what has happened like to to bring you back in to be to be like um so here's kind of like a a, a previously on avengers or whatever yeah especially because um, hawkeye yeah. wasn't present for yeah. Yeah. for infinity war and we get to see yeah. like that outside perspective it's and a really, it's a really good yeah. way to reintroduce you to that concept yeah. yeah and what's good about it is it's a very human moment Mm. Um, and this, this movie's pretty good for delivering human moments amongst all the the bombast of everything else. But because it, it's so contained, and there's like handheld camera parts, uh, uh, and it's like a sort of swoopy uh, following camera, like all of it feels not not really verite, but it, it feels more immediate than say like a, a, a CGI, a computer controlled panning camera going going around. And it's just so quiet and so serene and calm. There's no, like, dropping to your knees and screaming, no. There's, <laughs> and, know, like, yeah, because yeah, the way the scene ends is, is that you just get that, it, the cut to black and, like, the noise of thunder. Yeah, it's, like, thunder. really powerful. Hmm. It's just, 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 like, literally, it is just, like, leaves on the wind, that entire scene. Hmm. It's just, yeah. But then immediately after that thunderclap, we get taken to uh, Nebula and Stark um, interacting on the... What, do you know what the name of that ship is on that they're abandoned? The Benatar. On? The Benatar. Right, so they're, they're out of fuel and Stark is basically giving a voiceover to, um, to Pepper, explaining his situation and, you know, leaving his last memo to her. And we get, like, this really cool opening scene of them, like, playing a game together and seeing, like... Stark trying really hard to make Nebula like soften. We see her soften in his company because they're playing sort of like flick a penny kind of uh, game with each other. Um, I just thought that was a that's like again. This is the thing I mean about how the film is full of foregone conclusions. We know that Tony Stark isn't going to die on this plane. We know it. It's, how would there be a film if if he did? Also, um, in so the trailer, when, he's like walking around like. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So when when Captain Marvel flies out of nowhere and finds the plane and takes him back home, because it's done in such a soft, serene sort of not trying to sh- shock you or protect, like trick you into thinking that you were surprised by it when you really weren't, because it does it in that sort of human way and it focuses more on Tony's emotions as he's reaching what he thinks is his end you know um and in the company of somebody who isn't a friend but has become one um you know through the through the trauma together and through like attempting to survive together seeing how like nebula when he offers her food and nebula refuses it and says you like in an unspoken way clearly you need it more than i do and that kind of connection that is born of that struggle all of those moments i feel really elevate what could have been a really cheesy sort of like Depending on your mood, maybe this is me personally, I know a lot of people did feel sort of eye-rolly about how, oh, well, uh, Captain Marvel is just deus ex machina saving them from um, from the situation. But to me, because it was foregone conclusion, they found a better way, they found another thing to deliver uh, on yeah. top of that. Mm. Um, and I, uh, this movie is filled with those moments in a way to undercut, I think, like I said earlier, to of, undercut the stuff that yeah. would make your eyes roll. 
a lot of the conversation I've had around that moment in the film is how did Captain Marvel come across them? Like, are we are we supposed to believe that's a one in a million thing or like? No, I mean, the thing mm, is, the, the, there's an answer for that, but it, it's not on screen in this movie. Mm. Uh, but I don't think there's any uh, question mark about what happened, really. Um, and then the, the uh, part of it is going to be like uh, movie logic. But at the end of Captain Marvel, we have the post-credit sting where the pager stops beeping, uh, and uh, Carol, uh, with her current longer hair, lands and goes. Well, it just shows up there, uh, and she's like, "Where's Fury?" Uh, bear in mind, that scene does not play in this movie. Uh, and when they're brought back, she brings them directly to the Avengers, uh, like, hangout uh, compound. So if you put uh, two and two together, that scene happens once the pager goes off. They said, blah, blah, uh, Titan or whatever. I don't know how they would know that, but because uh, I can't remember Infinity War 100%. But, like, basically... She'd, they'd be, she'd be sent off in the sort of rough area where they would have gone, and then screenplay hand waviness, she finds them. Yeah, so we don't she really know been, she how long been, she's been looking for them. This is this is what I mean. Like um, when I've thought about this film before, if we imagine this film as an event in comics, I feel like I'm missing the tie-in sometimes. But does this kind of stuff uh, like affect your enjoyment of the film? Like these kind of it's, like, it's what it's I more, would call nitpicky. It's more something uh, that keeps me awake afterwards. <laughs> okay, right. so it doesn't affect me actually my actual enjoyment of the film. It's just something that the cogs in my mind just begin turning. It's like, well, how does that fit with that and whatever? But uh, the way Leon explains it is fine. Yeah, she goes to Earth. They tell her to go back up there and find. Tony Stark and she finds Tony Stark and brings Be- him home. Because, as well as part of that, so in the trailers for this, um, the whole Tony speaking into the helmet thing is set as like he's sending his final message. Mm. And the movie kind of connotates, I don't even think kind of connotates that those messages actually got out there and got back. So even adding that to the math of her like knowing where they are, like I think I like I don't know what Beyond some boring, um, uh, like... Uh, pseudoscience side story kind of thing. Or not even a, a pseudoscience, like um, exposition, that's the word. Beyond some boring exposition of, I found you by doing blah, 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 blah. It's like, that's the stuff that when you're doing the pass, that's probably in the screenplay. Mm-hmm. And that's when you do a pass and you remove that crap. And if that stuff makes it into the movie, that's the stuff that hits the editing floor because... It's all about like rhythm and flow, and you could, if you fit too much like uh, semi pointless, um, what's the word like uh, glue scenes in? I think you you start to slow down the movie, and like this is a, a three hour and one minute movie, and it does not feel like that while you're watching it. And yeah. I think part of that is due to them eliding some of the more mechanical processes of what of what's happened. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I can I can roll with that. So after this moment everyone's back on earth and Tony is very angry. <laughs> um he's in ill health as well like he needs to be kind of like cuz he's been in space for so long obviously he's gotten weaker and he actually looks like he looks emaciated. Yeah, he does. That. Yeah. And I I I 
I'm inclined to believe it's just CG because, like, yeah, uh, I, I'm sure this is. I'm like probably quoting from Leon here, but like, uh, if they can de-age all these like really famous old actors, they can do anything. So I'm pretty sure that's just some amazing um, computer-generated graphics work. Um, but it gen- is like really convincing how uh, like how starved he looks. Mm. And how how weak, and that sort of lasts throughout the entire movie in some ways. Like you can just tell his age and his like ricketiness in that scene. Yeah, like from being in space for so long, and he actually he looks like really like defeated, and he behaves mm. in a defeated way. And I guess at that point, everyone feels defeated that's like the whole point of that part of the film like everyone is like angry and you know feeling cheated and beaten and whatever else and and like there's no hope and no way back from this at all yeah i do feel like this first hour is not just a meditation on like loss and grief but like you say also defeat Mm. is how all these like super powered people like these all these heroes deal with the fact that they lost in the most crushing of ways and we get we get scenes for every single one of them that show exactly how they have been going about their time um in in coping with this uh but before we like i guess we need to before you you know run before you can walk um there's one there's one little talking of like the moments that sort of made me shed a tear uh when they're taking stark off the plane and uh, Rocket sits down and just takes Nebula's hand, like in an uh, again unspoken way, just like communicating the unspoken grief and comfort over Gamora's yeah. death that they've both experienced. And considering that they're both, you know, they've they've been enemies for such a long time, and it came as a shock to me to realize that he could have that in him for this person who was, you know, previously a villain in like Guardians of the Galaxy one, and that that kind of stuff really touched me. Yeah. Um. So, we'd be moving on now to the point where they decide, because Nebula's back now, and she's going to tell them where Thanos is. So, she... Yeah, she gives them yeah. uh, Thanos' retirement plans. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, he used to ramble about it while he was deconstructing her every time she yeah. lost to Gamora. So, which is a horrible piece of exposition. Yeah, exactly. So, he's gone to the cosmic... Um, yeah, he, this is something you'd talk about every time he was... Well, while he was torturing Nebula, basically. He would talk to Gamora about it. Um, and, uh, like, while he had Nebula in pieces and things, because he would, he would like, constantly deconstruct her and rebuild her. So, that, because the whole thing is that Nebula and Gamora would fight each other as sisters. Thanos would train them that way. And the loser would end up getting augmented and experimented on or something like that um and yeah his retirement plan was the cosmic equivalent of florida or something right (laughs) this place called the garden uh which is a um it's a piece of the marvel universe and it's uh it's it's kind of like some beautiful serene planet where he goes and does a bit of farming makes himself a um uh, um, <laughs> makes himself like a beef stew or something yeah in and, his, a, and a scarecrow his... <laughs> out of his old armor which is a, a, a nod to the comics that's out of infinity war number one straight out of the pages mm-hmm. uh where he's got a, a scarecrow made out of his old armor because 
you know, doesn't need any more. Yeah. He's just having a simple farm of Thanos, man. <laughs> and then the Avengers turn up and ruin his day. <laughs> okay, so that's the thing. So, like, Tony and Stark... Uh, sorry, Tony and Stark. Tony and Cap have an argument about what to do next. And, like, there's there's a line that I really love that Tony gives. He's like, we're the, we're the Avengers, right? Not the pre-Avengers. Like, what, what is the point of chasing Thanos now? He won, but... Um, like Captain America and uh, Nat, Thor, Danvers, Rocket, Rhodey, and Nebula, uh, they're convinced they need to go and chase Thanos and that they can retrieve the stones and undo what he did. Because he says, like, we need to undo it and bring everyone back just like that. And Captain says, just like that, because if this doesn't work, then I don't know what I'm going to do. So they go to that um, to that garden planet. They find Thanos in his broken... Like, he's he is basically broken. He's got the, the gauntlet still on his hand, implying that he can't take it off like it's fused to him they find him and they they're like beating him down in a really like cool moment like um captain marvel flies in uh, slams him to the floor um hulk takes hold of him and like pins him down thor comes in and like slices his gauntlet hand off immediately like no hesitation no sodding about like they just they they pin him down and beat him and he reveals that he's already destroyed the stones like he used the stones to destroy the stones which is strange piece of hand waving but it, it, what i love is that it it leaves them in in the first 20 minutes of this film we're left in a state where like they've they've confronted the villain they beat him they realize they can't do anything about it and thor in his rage chops his head off he you know he as he says he went for the head this time but it's 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 like a fruitless victory there's nothing they can yeah. do they can't undo the snap they can't and they haven't won thanos yeah. has won you know thanos knows then, this. he doesn't even fight back he just he doesn't yeah, yeah. And in some ways, it's interesting that he doesn't fight back, because I thought the whole point of him wanting to look upon a grateful universe is that he could bask in it, but it doesn't seem like he wants that. He's just living his life and, you know... Yeah, he's achieved his life's work. He's got nothing left to do. And he's fine with that. It seems to be enough for him. And what I love is, like, you get the moment where Thor's chopped his head off. In Nebula, uh, you know, having said previously, like... um, my father is many things, but he's not a liar, and that that's what sends Thor into his rage. She closes Thanos' eyes. We see um, Thor walk off outside of the the cabin, um, and like the screen blurs, and it plays the the music from the end of Infinity War, um, like that that you know that lilting violin, which is sort of sad but hopeful and like foreboding at the same time. And we get basically the the end of Thanos. That's the end of the Thanos that we knew in Infinity War. And we have no idea what's going to happen next. And, like, it cuts to black, and we see the words five years later. And then the credits roll. (laughs) (laughs) But that's why I I love that it went there so early. Yeah. And, like, um, I had had no idea where it was going at that point. Mm. And I I feel like that was so brave. Like, it's such, um, I don't know, it's such a, a stark way of of starting this next chapter and yeah. i have to say what what follows the next like the full first hour of this opening and um the, you know after the five years later before they go into what they call the time heist which we'll get to shortly but like this is my favorite part of the movie this first hour where it's it's basically a contemplation on their loss their grief how they deal with it and how they've all begun to react to it and what they you know what what they do in the face of like the ultimate defeat that they have they have you know they there's no way that they can bring it back it's just the state of the world now. that's their status quo yeah no, I, yeah I, I 
agree with like with all of that and um as we get into that that chapter i'm sure there's going to be a lot of uh, uh references to the leftovers um a, a few things i'll note on this beginning sequence that uh like quick things that i just noticed that i thought were really cool is that i really like that when the uh uh, we're going to get the son of the, uh, the son of a bit, and then it goes straight into the the main hype Sylvester um, uh, Avengers theme uh, mm-hmm. over the credits, and it's like it's so different from the way that um, Infinity War begins, which is like um, it, it's a completely different energy. Whereas this one is like, Da-da-da, yeah, we're going to get him, and now we've got all of our super powerful characters, so that when they get to uh, the planet he's on. It's yeah, it's such a uh, like just a wind just blown out of all of them. Uh, I think there's just a lot of great character work in there, and this begins a lot of the great stuff that we we get with uh, Thor throughout this movie. Mm. Uh, and there's just despite the, the some of the action, there's just a lot of good character moments in these in these earlier scenes, and um, it it is so, so bold. Uh, I think. I mean, at this point, it's a victory lap, isn't it? Mm, <laughs> they could, they can pretty yeah. much uh, do what they want. But like, I, I remember feeling shocked that they had. I know he's a CGI character and a monster, but like, he was like basically the main character of the last movie. They decapitated him in a PG thirteen <laughs> movie. <laughs> mm. it, it, it was uh, uh, quite mind blowing. But um, j- just one more point I have about that earlier section is that I really like that. One of my complaints about some of the stuff that happens in these movies, especially Infinity War, is that, and anything that's happened since Avengers, is that people don't get to bask in the craziness that is space and magic and blah, blah. It's just, they're mm-hmm. like, okay, you can do that. And I really like, there's a shot as they uh, use hyperspace um, when they're uh, in the ship, and we have a extreme close-up on Cap's eyes, and we can see, like, the sort of, the running of lights as they go through in hyperspace. And it's so cool because, like, he's obviously a super soldier, but he's so human. Uh, and it's just really cool to sort of literally see it through his eyes of, like, the, the next level, the next, like, things just go beyond what what um, we comprehend. And I think part of that is keeping it um, as human, as, as I've been saying. But. And the fact that it's Steve Rogers, who's, like, of the older world as it is, yeah, um, like seeing it through his eyes is interesting. One thing like that shows that these writers and these directors know their characters so well is um, you mentioned the uh, captain's line before the cut to the title where he's like, let's get this son of a bitch. This is the guy who was like saying language in Age of Ultron, you know, and mm-hmm. now he's saying, let's get this son of a bitch. Like that's how much Captain America's um, attitude has changed. And you see that later on in the film where he goes up against a younger version of himself. And like you see the difference in ideology and what this, um, like, what defeat has done to him. Yeah. And that's, like, the f- one of the first moments you see of, like, the change in him. Decapita- decapitation is how Thanos goes in the comics, by the way. Like, oh, yeah. quite quite recently, Thanos died, and uh, he was decapitated. Oh, okay. Um, so, mm-hmm. they're kind of, like, all these, like, little subtle nods to the comics all the way through the films. Mm. Um, also, um, so we're at the part now where everyone's defeated and it's just how how they kind of deal with that defeat deal with the fact that well we got our revenge on thanos but it didn't feel like much (laughs) 
because yeah, we, so you know, it, we can't it, we can't fix anything. We're just going to have to live with it now. Yeah, so it cuts to five years later, and we open on Captain America in group therapy, yeah. talking to one of the Russo brothers, actually, I think, as a cameo. One of them um, is um, Jim Starlin as well, Thanos' creator. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. The bald guy. Yeah. Nice. I didn't know that. Yeah. So one of them is the, the original mind behind Thanos, hmm. uh, Jim Starlin. And, um, well... Um, It's just, yeah, it's, I don't know, I mean, I, this is your part, Ray, because this, this <laughs> hour of the film for me wasn't much, I didn't, I didn't get on with it too well. I thought, I thought it was a little bit too, I thought there was too much of it. Okay, well, let, let me, let me quickly yeah. summarise what happens over the yeah. next I guess between minutes 20 to 60 is, I think, roughly what it was. So after they kill Thanos, it skips to five years later. Cat's in group therapy. We see um, uh, we see Natalie like talking to different intergalactic teams. Trying Natasha. To... Get her name Natalie. right. Sorry, Natasha. Thank you. I've got Nat written down. Um, <laughs> so we see Natasha briefing you know, various teams that are across the, the galaxy and across the world, uh, just you know, chasing up on on various villains and, like, various problems around the Earth. Um, we see Hawkeye being a bit of an embarrassment in Japan. We see uh, Ant-Man getting returned, uh, which yeah. I'll come back to. Um, and we, Yeah, so again, we're basically just seeing how all of these people are, are, are dealing with this, including some interesting changes in Hulk and some really interesting changes in Thor, which I have a lot of opinions on, but we'll get to that. Um, lost steam on where I was going with this. Yeah, so I, I kind of liked that it spent so much time um, showing just the changes in people, showing how how much, you know, the not just that the world has moved on and that we've lost five years of what we knew to be the MCU Earth, as it was, um, but also, like, the loss that they've experienced in their relationships and the changing of the world. Uh, why did that not work for you? Because that's the kind of thing that really touched me. And I love that they slowed the film down to like languish in that for you know a good thirty, forty minutes. I think, I think it was the fact that they slowed the film down to languish in it. Like I don't mind them showing how the world's changed, and I don't mind them showing how characters have changed and developed and grown over that five years and how they've dealt with what's happening. But I just don't feel like it needed to spend so long wallowing in it as it did i think i think they could have i think i think that slowing the film down like that was the thing that i don't know i i think i think they could have like interspersed it with some more kind of uh up tempo moments i don't know i think for me it was a i i i personally feel like it was a really smart choice because like, if this was a reality, it would be very somber, and I like that they didn't undercut it with too much humour. Um, and the fact, like, I gotta stay up front, and Leon mentioned it earlier, but, like, The Leftovers is one of my favourite TV shows of all time. It's basically three seasons as a meditation on grief, and I like that the... Something that I've wanted from the MCU for a long time is for it to take this established uh, framework that they've built up over, you know, the course of 20, 15, 20 films, as it was at the time, and try and use it as a uh, like a place setting for different types of storytelling, different narratives, and different genres. 
And I like that it became a quiet contemplative, sorry, contemplative drama, like character study. Um, and then it gets to kind of wallow in the action and stuff in the latter half. But I, I really respect that they gave, I don't know, they gave us this without having to rush through it, without having to give narrative shortcuts or just tell us that people were feeling something. They gave us time to see how people were, you know, feeling the trauma that they'd gone through. Um, that's why it worked for me. And I think it still worked on a second viewing. It didn't slow down too much for me. Um, I, I, how did you feel about that, Leon? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, uh, I think it's a relative term to say slow down. Because as I say, uh, as I said, like I feel that the pacing in this movie is amazing. Uh, it never feels like a three-hour movie. I never feel like the movie stopped or anything. And uh, like sort of uh, bouncing off... Uh, from where you, what you were saying is um, the problem, one of my problems with the MCU is the stakes are not usually they're like high but fake high because there's never any consequences like mm. it's always just like waved stuff so it's like Sokovia Accord or Hydra Shield mm. and we don't really get uh, what that actually means uh, echoing out because one of the things with the MCU is, uh, especially post-Age of Ultron, we never really get the human side. Like, we never hang out with normal people. Um, so we never get to see how the world changing has affected um, the, the actual world. But we never get to see the consequences of, um, like, properly of what happened, like having aliens come out, having... Um, a, a genocidal robot uh, almost uh, end the planet um, having yeah, like the, the chief um, intelligence uh, apparatus like be infiltrated by Nazis basically like we never I mean like the president was kidnapped in one of the movies like we just we never get the we never get to feel uh, like what the ramifications of all this all, all these things are that's a really good point, by the way. That's, that's just struck me that, like, in the older films, and maybe it's just a Joss Whedon thing, but, like, we got snippets of action on the ground. Like, in Avengers, it was um, from the point of view of that waitress, and we see her multiple times, and then she gets a very brief speaking role, at, you know, in the denouement. Um, but, and, like, in Age of Ultron, there was a family with a child who you get to see constantly through. Like, even, like, missing Coulson, who isn't in the films anymore, really. And, like, not having his perspective has really dramatically changed that perspective. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't really yeah, pick up what, on that until now. Yeah, you lose a bit of a grounding of reality. And I think some of mm. my favourite things to do with comics and superheroes is um, the hope that they inspire. and um, But also, like, um, the effect that they're actually having. And, like, when hearing stuff like the Sokovia Accords and stuff like that is cool, but we never hear, like, what the... We never, like, see any protest from humans going, no, um, leave, uh, let, let cat be cap or whatever, or mm-hmm. stuff like, uh, um, what's it called, like, registration. Because that's what it felt like it was echoing, because obviously the Civil War story in the comics has the whole thing about registration and revealing secret identity and stuff like that. And they never... Like, the, the Sokovia Accords is a really hand wave thing in in Civil War, and we never get to see the implications of how actual humans... And, like, I think the closest you get is, is stuff in, in, like, Spider-Man Homecoming, where mm. it's after Civil War, and we get, like, Captain America videos and, and people 
are wearing Avengers Masters robbing. And that's still that's mm. still quite service level, but it's just funny to have stuff like uh, the school district being too cheap to change their videos. So you have Hannibal Burris's line where it's just like, uh, I'm, I'm sure he's a war criminal or something, but we've got to show these videos. And like, uh, I kind of like that because we, we get a kind of lower level feeling of what it's like on the street with humans. And like, um, in Four Ragnarok, uh, people uh, getting a selfie with him and, and knowing that he's broken up with Jane. Like, it's a silly, it's a funny little joke bit, but I kind of like that you have some tangible feeling of what the rest of the world, um, how the rest of the world looks up, looks at these characters. And um, that's a big thing in in some of my favorite comics and uh, comic cartoons and all that. And I just think from this second half of uh, the MCU it's been, it's been lost so yeah. so ha- having it where we um, it, each of the characters we get to see how they're dealing with it and what they've been doing during the five years uh, is, it, I don't know, it, it's, it's precious to me um, mm. because I never get to see uh, these characters emote really apart from in the moment when something big has happened but I don't, I don't get to see these characters dealing with actual deeper emotions. And, uh, yeah, it's not a TV show, but um, and it's not a book, uh, but I think that with the time they have, I think they they do a lot with a little. Um, and for me, it was nice to bolster up these characters by give, giving me more about them, especially it makes what happens later on have more stakes for me because... I know, I, I would feel that, say you chop down, uh, this act. Uh, yeah. yeah. Which I, which I call the leftovers act. It, yeah. If you chop, if you chop down this act, I just feel like it, it rings a bit hollow and no shade to Fast and Furious or anything. But in those movies, we don't have stuff like this. Uh, it is just next action scene, next action scene, next action scene. And that's cool. But I, I don't really feel anything for those characters. Um, mm. And I think that by showing us, like, the human side of what of most of the um, original characters, showing how they've grown, showing how they've dealt with, um, like, I don't know, I think it, it enriches uh, the characters and enriches the story. I just, I think for me, it was just I didn't like that they'd totally given up. Because that's not what these characters are supposed to... Well, for me, that's not what they represent. That's not... I mean, like, I know that Marvel characters are famous for having the human side and the human traits and everything else. And that, you know, they're famous for being relatable and everything like that. That's what what Marvel do well. But I just don't... I don't think I liked that they they seemed to completely give up. Like, I don't think they did though, right? Like they didn't completely give up. It's just that they had no other recourse. So like, yeah. ca- this is what we these five years we see what they they do with the the like the efforts they have available to or like the avenues available to them. So we see Captain America doing his best to like um, help people in group therapy and like have his endless optimism where he's talking about you know wildlife coming back to. Um, back to the, the the rivers in new york and we see natasha like diving into her work and you know doing hum, uh, humanitarian work and trying to investigate these um like earthquakes and searching for thanos and all the you know all these other things we see hawkeye like dive the furthest into darkness because we see him uh turning into ronin and um chasing down um 
oh god, what is it? Like Yakuza, I guess. It's never Yakuza really Yakuza and the cartel. Yeah, so like chasing down um, criminals and murdering them in Japan. In what I think is actually a really great action sequence, but it's kind of I want to uh, like take a slight tangent on this because as as embarrassing as Hawkeye's character like dive is in this point, he gets to have like a really grounded human action sequence in this, which I feel I constantly kind of forget what it looked like because it's it, it it's so easy to get distracted by like the big flashy cgi um like filled action sequences this one i think might be like a one shot or a fake one shot where you don't get to see the scenes but like it's a good couple of minutes where it's like the camera follows him through a building and it like twists around and we get to see him um pull out a sword and like fight a fight against this guy and like cut him down through the stomach um I don't know. I, I, do you guys have thoughts on that one? I feel like that one's kind of gets forgotten when in other discourses that I've been listening. I thought it was pretty cool. Like a lot, I even even though we, we see them all the time now, uh, I, I still like those stitched uh, like fake one shot action scenes. I think um, they bring like a um, intensity and a, a sort of closeness of, of action. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, you could, what? What you what you can say about cultural appropriation of the original <laughs> character and and this movie character? It it, it is a it, it's a cool sequence, um, and it it's it's vicious and brutal in a way that uh, these movies generally aren't. Because a lot of the time it's like faceless people getting shot or like people taking blunt punches to the face, uh, superpowered mm. people. So it it is kind of brutal and like you do sort of feel the cost of like. What's the difference between him doing this and killing henchmen, or like uh, Hydra henchmen and stuff? But in, in, in this, it's um, it's like intention because like this is to cause harm. This is this is the bloodlust. This is to uh, like he's not he, in in a way he is sort of making the world a better place, but he's sort of doing this to to for his own ends. He's because, doing this like, out of some sort of twisted sense of like the fact that when the click happened a lot of good people were taken and for some reason these people these bad people were left on the earth Mm. and he he feels like these he feels like it's now his job to take these people because if good people can be taken if good people don't get a chance why should these people and what I love is that it's, it sits in contrast to what Natasha's going through because, like, we see her talking to Rhodey at the end of their little meeting with um, uh, Okoye and Captain Marvel who are, you know, explaining what the situation is right now. And he says, he insinuates that he's found Hawkeye and she's like, please go find him. Um, and, like, you can see her with tears in her eyes. And then yeah. at the end of this action sequence, she turns up and is trying to, like, call it, you know, call him back home. And... Or have I, have I skipped ahead of that? Have I have I no. missed a scene? No, uh, you ha- you have because um, that that bit happening where Natasha appears is when it says we need to get the team together and she's I'm working on it. So it's yeah, when they decide says, to do the time heist. Yeah, after she the says, peanut butter uh, sandwich. Yeah. Yes, because because she it does end with don't give me hope and she's like I'm sorry it took so long to to give yeah. it to you. Anyway, so we uh, we do have that bit. We have. Um, we see Ant-Man get returned by contrived coincidence because a rat sort of wanders over his machine that had been shut down for the last five years and he gets popped out of the quantum realm five years later not knowing what's going on in the world and he's like doing his 
fish out of water trying to discover what happened in five years in just five minutes where he's dragging all his stuff through um the cities of san francisco san francisco thank you yeah um and we get um ken jong as well another community uh yeah. cameo yeah. <laughs> we're sure. trying to fit them all in does it say 616 somewhere on that locker where ant memory appears oh as in uh, marvel universe 616 well, uh, earth 616 very possibly i was yeah. focused on it um saying like his a, name a comicsy reference hmm. very likely yeah probably i, I didn't catch that um, but yeah but uh, like I I uh, I thought that, that that whole sequence was really good, and um, I thought like, what's up with that kid? <laughs> what a dick! <laughs> I well, know he's grown up in a world. <laughs> yeah, I know he's grown up in a world where there's like fifty percent of the people disappeared by supernatural circumstances, but just answer the man's question. <laughs> it was. <laughs> he's clearly distraught, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was actually his container number. Yeah, container number 616. Oh, okay, so, cool. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, we, we get to see Ant-Man, um, and again, I forget the character's name. What's the dude's name? Scott. Um, Scott Lang. Yes, Scott we Lang. see him running around the memorial to all the people who I presume were in San Francisco at the time of the snap. Mm. And he's yeah. like desperately searching for his daughter's name and instead finds his own, and he's like, what the hell's going on? Runs back to his old house and finds his grown-up teenage daughter, and that's like I think tearjerker number three I, for me, where he just yeah. like it, it sold on his face how yes yeah uh, like just yeah. how much how confusing and wonderful it is for him. That's right. Mm. We I, under, like I, I think we I, I think when I say we, I mean the general we, because he's such a because Paul Rudd is such a good comedic actor. We generally don't talk enough about how good uh, emoter and dramatic actor is. And like mm-hmm. one of my favorite things of rewatching the MCU recently is uh, watching the Ant-Man 1 and 2 film, uh, Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp. And I love every scene with him and Cassie. It's it's so so real and so um, sweet, but not in a saccharine way. It, it generally feels uh, like a, the relationship between like um, a, a parent um, and, uh, and child. But like, not in this clean sitcom way, but in rough edges, uh, yeah. where like, because kids are smart and they know, and she, uh, Cassie seems to be in a like, I don't want you to be, ca- I don't want you to capture. I hope you don't find him. She says in the first movie, mm-hmm. and then in the second one, she's uh, talking about the popo and everything like that. I, <laughs> I, I, I love their relationship. It's so, yeah. it's so uh, pure. It's so pure. Right. So that sequence at the door, like that, is a that choked me up. Yeah, and I kind of wish that we got more. And again, I understand why they wouldn't keep these scenes in a three-hour and one-minute movie for like for the sake of expediency. But I wish we got a little bit more of her reacting to like the the genuine "what the fuck is going on" moment. Mm. Of, like you were dead, like you were among the dusted, like you're not supposed to be here. And like seeing how he's one in you know three billion people who shouldn't exist. Like mm. he's the one. He's the one person who gets to come back from it. And yeah, I just I wish the ramifications of that were explored a little more. But hopefully, in future films, there'll be something to do with that. Yeah, um, maybe we'll see some of that in this new Spider-Man film. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, we're getting um, um, <laughs> the trailer is spoilerific, but we'll come to that in a, we'll come to that later. But yeah, it's like um, <laughs> I mean, I I really I really did enjoy that scene, and I liked when Scott came back and everything started to get a little bit more, okay, mm-hmm. so 
you know, when things started to get a bit more hopeful again. I think I think that's I don't know if that's just me. Um, not liking things that are too dour sometimes. Oh, I love that dour. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, like we're we're barely even forty minutes into this yeah. movie. Like we we haven't got to the bit. So what happens next is Scott goes back and finds yeah. um, the Avengers compound, talks to uh, Natasha and Captain America, and says, hey, "I've got an idea. I came out of the quantum realm, and time worked differently for me there." And so they want to try and explore that avenue as a way to um, to you know retrieve the stones, or at least try and retrieve the people. You know, they they want to be able to do something with that. And he's like, "I don't know how to." manipulate time travel who could so they seek out tony stark and this is the first time we see tony after the the five years later jump and it's revealed that he has a daughter pepper Potts, um like adorable little child actor as well like i really like how um robert downey jr and this uh, this actress um interact with each other it feels like you were saying leon with um scott lang and cassie like this feels like a really real relationship you can really tell the affection between those two um and like we get we get a glimpse into what Tony has gained from the snap. Like he gained a family after this dramatic thing happened. Whereas a lot of other people lost everything and it's even addressed. Like they say we got really lucky when he's talking to Pepper. Like they got so lucky that they got to keep each other and start a family. Um and he's basically resigned himself to no, I'm not getting involved anymore because anything I do from now will either make things worse or I will lose the things that are precious to me now that I've found since then. And he doesn't want to participate. He doesn't want to help, um, you know, the Avengers team with uh, with figuring out any time travel solution to, you know, bring bring the stones back. Um, and what I really like is, like, his... The way they navigate the, the friendship between Captain America and... I'm Sorry, Steve Rogers and Tony Stark in this, because it's like, if you don't talk shop, you can stay for dinner. You know, that kind of thing where he still wants to... He yeah. still wants them as friends. He still admires them and like has that affection, but he just can't get involved. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't want to risk what he's got. Hmm. He doesn't want to risk um, Pepper and his daughter. I guess he doesn't want to risk that. And why? And of course, why yeah. would? Why would he? As, why would he, Especially yeah. as having been. It, it's interesting because he's always been a very selfish character, and in some ways, he's being selfish again, but in a very different, more like grounded family man sort of way as opposed to a selfish on you know on his lonesome sort of way and that's that's an interesting development for him mm. um but then after tony they try and seek out uh bruce banner who it turns out has gone through a radical change and instead of having his warring size between the hulk and um professor banner he becomes professor hulk which i have been told is a really uh well fleshed out character rock in the comics but this is the first time i'd yeah. ever encountered professor hulk but yeah. it's such an it's such an interesting um combination of like the mid-ground yeah. between like dr jekyll and mr hyde kind of thing where he's, it's yeah mm, go on. he's sort of come to terms with himself and made peace with the other side and now him and the hulk sort of coexist yeah, but it's such a sort of like muted, uh, embarrassing dad sort of way. You know? Yeah, where he's like taking photos with kids who like are genuinely, you know, they they yeah. want a photo with him, but he does the whole like peace sign and dabbing at them and stuff. And it's just it's really awkward and strange, and I really I really like where where his character goes. There's a there's a bit of Beast from X Men in there. Yeah, and it seems yeah. like he's one of the very few characters who feels genuinely positive mm. in this in you know in this time period where he's. He's learned how to center himself um, in 
in possibly in reaction to all of this trauma. And everyone else is a little bit weirded out by him. Like, <laughs> As you would be, right? Yeah, because they're all kind of just... When they find him, and it's, it's the, I think it's the diner scene, that they're all a little bit like... You, you can tell they're a little bit weirded out by the idea of him like, wait, so are you the Hawk or are you Banner? And he's <laughs> like, oh, I'm both. I'm actually both now, kind of thing. And it's kind of like, okay, we'll go with that. And then I like his, like, as tidy and everything as Tony's science is like Professor Hulk's science is a little bit more kind of like slapdash and a little bit more like when he's building when he when he starts working with them to build the time machine which is a little later on but like yeah. he has a great line at that point where Natasha is like are you, are you joking and he's like it's just time travel it's either all of it's a joke or none of it is yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then have you got uh, any thoughts on any of this Leon yeah, like, I, uh, one of the things I really like is just uh, the whole character design where he looks the most like Ruffalo mm. he has. I mean, he always looks like Ruffalo, but here, at, at, the, at the the level of transformation he's at, he looks the most like Ruffalo, and it's just, it's such a weird thing that pushes you past the Uncanny Valley really quickly yeah. in such a cool way. Um, and I, I, yeah, I, I like that with the diner scene, it, it manages to do a lot with a little. So we kind of like, there's this whole other Hulk movie that we haven't seen where he can't keep terms with himself. Um, the connection between Natasha and Bruce is still there. And it's quite potent in that scene. Um, just seeing how the world has moved and how um, like young kids uh, are like sort of looking up. And so like, uh, seeing what Hulk's outreach has been in those five years, like all of it is um, just really uh, well handled character work and world building at the same time. It's yeah, it's. I mean, we've seen the Hulk develop across the last few Marvel films, anyway, in the way that they've portrayed him and the way that they've written the character in the past few movies. Like we've sort of seen him develop into that because in Ragnarok. In Thor Ragnarok, he was walking and talking anyway, and he kind of had a bit more, um, a bit more character about him. Like the Hulk wasn't just this rage-filled green blob that smashes things. He was like, he he could he he kind of he, he had like a personality a little bit, didn't he? Yeah, Hulk was sensitive. Yeah, in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, and you he could got his could, feelings you, hurt. <laughs> you could just sort of see it coming in from there, really, hmm. like how the two how he ended up sort of like coming to terms and striking the balance between the two which is kind of cool and it's kind of like a nice ending for his arc as well for that part of it yeah yeah i mean so so from from the end of this dynasty basically them trying to seek out another like brain to help them figure out this time travel thing and he says he he doesn't really know how to do it Um, nice area of expertise yeah do you remember why they why him and Rocket go out to seek Thor? Is that does that happen next? Because I I I'm losing no, a bit of track. So what happens? I believe uh, the test happens where they they make Scott a baby happens, and we right. get the scene where Tony invents time travel. Right. Yeah. And it's a really cool scene with um, with Scott going like being dipped back and forth into time and like he ends up as a teenager then ends up as an old man then ends up as a baby and then comes back as himself while they're like scrambling to figure this out 
And, like, he gets the line where somebody peed my pants, which I think is great. Which yeah. I feel like I've heard in a different film before. Maybe it was even... I don't know. It's, I just think that's a great delivery of that line. I don't know if it was Baby Scott or Old Scott, but somebody peed my pants, or however he says <laughs> it. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and then you get that bit with Tony in his log cabin where he's kind of like... He, like, reluctantly... He doesn't... He's interested, and he wants to see if he can do it. And well, he can't he's, help... He's, yeah, he can't help himself, the, yeah. It's because he's doing the dishes, and yeah. he's got one of those spray things, and he accidentally sprays the shelf. And yeah. as he's drying the shelf, he sees the picture of, of him and Peter, the start internship, and... Mm. Like that's such a fresh wound for him still. Yeah. I mean that's that's the first thing he says when he, he gets off the um the Benatar and he goes he goes mm. into Cap's arms and he says like I lost the I kid. lost the kid. Yeah. Yeah, it's awful. It's heartbreaking. And he, he starts Because I, I... Of... Mm. Oh, No, I was gonna say when yeah. he picks up that picture of Peter, I thought he was originally looking at a picture of his dad. Mm. Um, which again, get, he he gets a moment with his father later, but like I do like that he went to Peter's photo. Like you're saying, it's still such a fresh wound, and he's still tinkering in his basement, like with his amazing computer that has like the 3D um, holographic projection stuff, and he's just dossing about with like a 3D projection of I think he says like a Mobius strip, and then just invert it, and it does yeah. all this this sort of like basic um, basic geometry pseudo mumbo jumbo stuff, but like, like, I think, in a way, that really highlights how much of the heavy lifting is done by the actors in this in this film, particularly Robert Downey Jr., where, like, the the computer, in a very matter-of-fact way, says, yeah, we, uh, your, um, your parameters have succeeded, you have invented time travel. And he just sort of, like, in a, in a daze, falls back in his chair. And, like, again, you can see on his face, he's looking at... In, in reality, when they're filming, he's looking at nothing, but, like, it registers on his face how how unprecedented this thing is that he's made it work and again in a way that as i've alluded as i've said before that undercuts the whole like well obviously this you know this is a foregone conclusion he goes back and talks to pepper and says should i do it like i could throw this in the bin right now if you wanted me to and then she responds with well would you be able to rest like would you be able to sit still with this knowledge that you could do something you have the opportunity to do something whether it's going to work or not you have this now, so you have to do something. Um, and I think that's a really interesting, um, I don't know, part of his character in this, that he's even willing to give it up for the sake of his family, and it's his wife who convinces him not to. Yeah, and it's like, especially coming straight after, because he, um, he, he um, solves time travel, and it, that seems itself is like a callback to Iron Man 2, where it's like... Um, uh, okay, so it makes a new particle. A new element, yeah. <laughs> uh, but like... Um, he solves it, and then he finds out uh, Morgan's there, and then he has another great scene w- uh, with with Morgan, and that's where the "Love You 3000 um, comes from, which is <laughs> yeah. uh, amazing. Which is going to like carry on. That, that's going to be a pop culture statement now, isn't it? That's going to be yeah. one of the big ones from this decade. That's going to be 3, a thing. Yeah, you'll yeah. see it on birthday cards and all sorts. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, and then, like, where do we where do we go after that? Well, where so we he go goes to the right? compound. Yeah. He he rocks up really arrogantly as as is his way to Captain America, who's waiting outside uh, the compound for him, or he just happens to be there. Um, his concept way, Audi as well. Yeah, yeah, which overshoots 
<laughs> Steve, and then he has to like reverse to get back in line with him, which I thought was a great touch. Um, but he, the first thing he says was, "Did he turn into a baby?" Like he knows exactly what's been going on. He like he can read the future in some in his own way without requiring time travel because he knows that Scott Lang has has gone through this process and then reveals that he's already figured it out. He's got this like GPS tracker on his hand that they can use yeah. to to do this. Um, and I guess is this. Is this the whole thing where he says, "Are we bringing? Have we got the whole team?" And then that's when we go see Thor, right? In yeah, New Asgard. Yeah. yeah. True, true. But you kind of going over like a really cool moment. I, I go into it because I, I feel like I'm forgetting a lot. Because what what happens there is that at the end of Civil War, uh, these guys aren't mates anymore because Cap knew Bucky uh, killed his parents and kept mm. it to himself. Cap, uh, yeah. Cap figured it out at some point and kept it to himself. And and then obviously protected Bucky and beat Iron Man so he couldn't kill Bucky. So it was over and it, like he says, um, he says, uh, he says, you don't deserve that shield. Mm. Um, so like, uh, Cap, uh, Cap believes it there. And so that been like the, the division there, like, uh, they haven't had any proper dialogue with in, in regards to that because mm. since then, you just had the letter that Cap sent and the phone, but Tony mm. could never call it. Um, and then you had the sequence where they uh, get off the Banatar. And the thing there is that uh, I lost the kid. Uh, I couldn't save him. And then Tony's like, uh, we all lost. Um, and then that's when he starts to ask about Pepper. And then mm. he finds that Pepper's still alive. And so you don't ever have that because the next bit is like, uh, I, I told you guys, I said, build uh, a, a suit of armor around the planet. And then he, mm. he, he has his whole tirade at Cap yeah, and yeah. calls him a liar. So you never, liar. Get, yeah. you never get that resolved then. So I like in this scene, it's quite economical and quite in a... It deals with masculinity in that way where things are never uh, as explicit as they could be, but mm. a lot is said with a little... And they don't hug it out or anything like that or say, like, I'm sorry, Amanda. The, you just have the, the gesture of uh, he presents him with the shield nice and cleaned up, repainted, uh, repainted. Um, and, it's, and he says, my dad, my dad would have wanted you to have it or my dad made it for you, I think is the line. Mm. And Stark has a line. I can't remember exactly what it is, but he says something along the lines of uh, animosity is bad for the soul type thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's just such a... Like just a lovely moment, but like these guys just coming back together, and it's that we get more of this later. But I just love the the instant sort of uh, like sort of uh, sleight of hand in terms of dropping the joke about uh, don't uh, don't tell anybody about this. I didn't make one for everyone. Like yeah, it's yeah. so Tony in dealing with yeah. a moment like that, and it's it's a beautiful moment. Yeah, there's only one. There's not. I haven't got one for everyone, so just keep it quiet, kind mm. of thing. Yeah. <laughs> He says, it turns out resentment is corrosive, and I hate it. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and Steve's like, I agree. <laughs> and I love it because it shows so much growth. Mm. Mm, definitely. And um, we then get the uh, the bit where they sort of like, they mosey on over to New Asgard, which is some little fishing town in Norway somewhere, isn't it? It's, uh, I think it's, I don't know how it's pronounced, but it's like Tonberg, which is the same place. Yeah. That's at the beginning of the original Thor movie, where the Asgardians um, are explaining about how they interact with humanity and where all the mm. myths and legends. And then in Captain America, uh, the first Avenger, Thunberg is where the Tesseract was stored for a long time. 
Yes. Ah, okay. And they all turn up there, and uh, the Asgardians are just, you know, like, trying to kind of keep a low profile working among the normal folk, fishing and whatever. And um, Thor is living in some student-y style house share with Korg. And, and Meek. Yeah, and Meek, yeah. And uh, they're just sitting playing Fortnite, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, which <laughs> I asked my nephew, what was your favourite moment in yeah. the film? And he's like, when, when Thor's playing Fortnite? I was like, really, of all of the moments in this film, you thought that was the best. But, I mean, that's what matters to these kids these days. So I know, and that's irritating. But <laughs> I mean, it's, whatever, it's not irritating. Yeah. It's what they like. <laughs> yeah, it's what kids like. No, it's not it's irritating. Baffling. I can't, I can't <laughs> say that. It's baffling, yeah. yeah. I shouldn't yeah. say that it's irritating, but... <laughs> Um, but, um, yeah, so Thor is, Thor's dealing with this really badly. Like, this whole, like, I mean, can you blame him though, really? I mean, his, his, like, we've had the destruction of Asgard, and then half his people are gone, mm-hmm. and then he lost his hammer, and... He didn't go for the head. Yeah, and he didn't, and he go, didn't for go for the head, yeah. And and he could have he 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 it was within his power to have stopped it. Hmm. He was but, the closest to it. He feels yeah. the most responsible. But yeah. like in in an earlier scene, somebody I think it was um, Stark points uh, Thor brooding in the corner and asks what's up with him. And Rocket says, "Well, he feels responsible, but there's a lot of that going around at the minute." Yeah, um, he's angry. Yeah, but he's clearly taking it, or he's he yeah. must be taking it harder than a lot of them because yeah. he's he's basically shut himself away in this student pad and really let himself go. Like, you, he's he's devolved into, um, like, what is basically unspoken alcoholism yeah. and, um, you know, just playing video games and living this frat boy lifestyle. And we see here, you know, see it manifested in him physically as in, you know, having put on a lot of weight. And it's... In, in what makes me kind of uncomfortable, like, it makes me feel really uneasy how they treat his character here. But, like, it's... A lot of it's treated like he's the butt of a joke and I definitely don't like how they deal with it later on in the film but in this moment it's sort of done relatively deftly where you know it's it's he's like the butt of the joke which I don't like but at the same time it's really sold through Chris Hemworth's performance just how um like how affected he has been and like how far gone he is and how much he's trying to just lose himself in you know these substances and snacking and just you know ignoring the world outside of him Um, yeah and i don't know how you guys feel about that because i think the comedy is kind of funny like when he's he's talking to uh you know the the online gamer on the headset that's uh, making fun of korg and he like says if you don't watch (laughs) if you don't watch your mouth i'm gonna fly over to your house rip your arms off and shove them up your butt which is, is a good comic moment but it's still done in the context of him like like making fun of his body and the way that it's it, you know the way that it's become i don't know if you guys are th- yeah like mm. um this this is a thing that i thought about while watching the movie and then subsequently mm. and how it plays throughout the movie um uh, and the 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 main topic being is it is it like fat shaming is it making um a, a joke over over him uh, uh, being overweight and I think, um, I don't know, I think it's quite nuanced because I think you, it can be taken in different ways. Because at the beginning, uh, when you first see him, that, that, obviously that's because 
like Hemsworth is known as being the super ripped guy, always takes his shirt off. Mm. So part of it plays as a even a thing that's sort of devoid of the thing of like ha ha fat person, and it's like the the big big visual difference. But there's definitely like because uh, like Rocket has his like line of like you look like melted ice cream and stuff like that, and mm. a lot of that, all that stuff is played for laughs, but. Considering the arc of the character in this movie and what happens later and the fact that they never go back and change his body back, I think um, it pays off in a way. And like, I can't fully speak on this because uh, uh, I, I, I've not really been in this position uh, where I've been uh, fat-shamed in any way. But um, I have read two really good articles on it. And one is um, by uh, Joanna Robinson at Vanity Fair, who's... Uh, a writer and podcaster who, uh, like, I love pretty much everything she's done. Mm-hmm. And another one is Ethan Anderton, who works for Slash Film. And they both put uh, two, like, differing but very similar comedowns uh, on, in terms of how they um, fall with this. And both of them, uh, especially like Ethan's experience, he filters his experience as being uh, an overweight guy. And like for it, for his point of view, it's um, like the lines that come from people like Rocket mm. are like warranted because that's that's Rocket's character and the visual the visual change uh, played for last when you first see him is the comedy of difference as well. Mm-hmm. And he is saying that um, like all of it rings true, even though some of the jokes are focused and like the. the uh, both him and Joanna in their separate stories agree that probably the worst offender of this is giving Rhodey the cheese whiz line about what, that what, line. That, what yeah, goes through his veins yeah, because yeah. it doesn't really fit the moment or the character and that one is sort of just a, a punch down in a way yeah, for yeah. for the e- easy laugh especially in the moment that it is yeah. but like for the for the most part both of them in uh, to varying degrees feel that the character's journey um, make it so that at the end he's not really the full butt of the joke and by extension mm. it's not an easy jab down at people who are overweight but they both uh, are and Joanna more so are definitely of the opinion that yes yeah, some of some of the jokes are are um, played for an easy laugh but yeah, where they both sort of fall down in different ways, and I, I highly recommend you put them in the show notes, both stories. Um, mm. They are very nuanced takes, uh, nuanced take on on what it means overall and what mm. plays as a joke and um, does it fit at the end of the day? Like, what what is the character's arc? And is, is the arc just one big joke? And we're, what what is the point of this and da 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 and but at the same time both of them don't um, discount other people who have come away from the movie and taken offence or found found the uh, those scenes um, and the whole storyline to uh, be, be one whole punch and down exercise so I think there's a, there's a nuanced uh, take that I think different people will get different things out of there. I I wouldn't yeah for me it didn't it didn't feel like I mean I I have been like when I was younger I was I was very very overweight um as a teenager um and I don't I don't know really because I obviously you know like 
I had experienced some of the the jokes and things like that because that's uh, when you're overweight and you're a kid. That's what happens. Kids are cruel, right? But like, I don't I don't know if it was so much the the overweight part of it as as the him wallowing and being depressed part of it and them almost making light of that a little bit in the way that he goes around in his dressing gown the whole time and um, or like how everybody's kind of embarrassed on his behalf when he yeah like he gives a presentation yeah. later on in the film and they're yeah. kind of like all cringing at him which i think is i think there a lot yeah. of the other characters reactions to him is kind of unfair but i guess not unwarranted because that is mm. how people would react that way because i do i do think it's an interesting expression of his grief but i think like that roadie line for example really yeah. like i think i think <laughs> not think... not to make a pun but that really cheesed me off because like yeah. it's so out of character for roadie to it be is. that mean-spirited i don't yeah. know what's going like you know why all of a sudden yeah that would come out of him but at the same time i do like that they don't undo it they don't like give him yeah, they don't. You know, they don't make him skinny and buff again at the end of the movie in time no. for the action sequence. Like he's, yeah, he's power. He like he refines his power. He refines his confidence, and he's still the same body that he yeah. had at the start of the movie. And I think that's quite an but interesting thing to show. It is, and it's kind of cool. And I, you know, it's body positive at the end of the day for that reason. But like the thing for me that I, I. I the thing that I, I disliked, rather than him being a like a, rather than rather than it being a joke about his weight, I think it was more the way that they treated him, as in, come on, you've got to get up, get on with it, mm. kind of thing, and like they were all kind of like rolling their eyes at him, walking around in his dressing gown. It felt like that, you know, like he was like a punching bag for everyone for a different reason. Ah, uh, see, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really get that part of him because everyone apart from some of those lines uh, yeah. most of those are like when you you first get him like no one really makes a point of it he's just mm. poor um and yeah what what they're doing is like a lot of, a lot of the stuff is quite um like there's a lot of empathy for those guys and yeah like so even if you talk about like the rocket part the rocket part is actually pretty good and not a Stop wallowing type thing, but yeah. Rocket's trying to put his suffering in context with everyone else. Like the yeah, reason why like a lot of people lost something, yeah, that like you know, the reason a lot of people kind of lost. Something. Yeah, because like the reason we're on this mission, the reason why we've travelled through time, the reason why we've come back to this thing is because we're trying to uh, do this for all the other people who can't. And it's like you're you're needed, you're a hero, and mm. uh, I mean yeah. that fits into later bits that happen uh, in that sequence. But I, I think that. Um, yeah, I think that the rest of the team are quite helpful and sympathetic to him. And, uh, like, there's comedy found in, in, in bits, like, purposefully, but I don't think uh, they're playing light or bit, um, or sort of writing him off. Mm, I don't know. There's just there's bits of it that, like, I, I think I, I found myself getting a little bit, like, I, I think that, that, that part, that particular arc of the movie like Thor in that movie in the movie kind of it 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 sort of hit me in a different way as in like a lot of people are talking about the the the, um the weight side of things and whatever else but for me it was more the way that he is um like from a like kind of like a, a depression point of view and things like that I think that was the bit like and the way they 
I, I felt like sometimes they were a bit cruel to him that way. I don't know. I mean, it, it's but, very hard hitting, but like, it's, yeah. he, I think he does have one of the most interesting arcs because he goes from being yeah. the most powerful Avenger to being like to feeling the most impotent, yeah. despite having had you know so much of the import in the last film. And like, you could you can see the cogs turning in his head. And like, he even has that moment where um, where Professor Hulk says to him, like, you know, we're going to go back and stop Thanos, and he's like, don't say that name. Like, just like yeah. how much of a trigger it is for him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so like moving on, we kind now we kind of get to the bit where they start talking about the time heist. Um, mm. Scott Lang's words for the thing that they're going to do to uh, to to save the world is perform a time heist. Yeah, and so we get this uh, we get a sequence where it's the like in in a regular heist movie fashion because now it switches gears from being um, the leftovers movie it's set in the MCU to being a heist movie set in the MCU. We get the planning phase where we see them discussing the various stones they need to retrieve, uh, where they're going to be all in various times, them sort of like riffing and sitting around the dining table discussing it while having dinner and like giving presentations on what they all know about the stones because each one of them has interacted with at least one of them in different ways. And they have this really nice moment where they sort of like, I think it's Natasha, Tony and Hawkeye, I think, like lying down on the table saying, hey, if you pick the right year... Then it's, uh, I think it's uh, Tony, Natasha on the table, and I think it's Banner on the floor. Right, yeah, but they have this cool moment where they're like, three of the stones will be in New York at the same time if you pick the right time. So it's the whole, like, you get to see the cool machinations of them figuring out the most yeah. efficient way to retrieve these stones but, while, you know, by using time travel. There's also a kind of meta angle to that, because this is the kind of thing that us as fans have been doing for like months and weeks and yeah theorizing yeah years in the run-up to yeah. this movie yeah yeah so it's kind of like just watching the conversations that as of fans have probably had over dinner or um you know while playing online games or when we get together yeah. and watch one of these films mm. and things like that because that's the kind of things we'd be doing like you you can very much imagine fans saying well i bet there was three there must have been three infinity stones in new york at this one particular movie mm. And things like that, and it just yeah. it just makes sense. And there's another extra meta level to this, in that uh, the writers, directors, and producers are mapping out what they're gonna do for these films. Yeah. Uh, and you can imagine in the same same thing in a big writers room and mm. whiteboards and stuff, and like, okay, so that's then. What's the most cleanest way to do that? Blah blah blah. Yeah, so mm. then reverse engineering in the film, which then gets shown as them reverse engineering in the movie itself. Yeah. Mm. Very cool. And like, yeah. I like that there's, uh, maybe I'm misremembering it in my head, but I feel like there's some really good thing in this, like, I guess 5, 10, 15 minute sequence of them, you know, pulling all these threads together and trying to figure out their plan. And it culminates in this, like, rousing music and rousing speech by Captain America when they're on the platform, ready to dive in, in um, into the quantum realm and travel to their various times to retrieve the different stones and like you you get the the exposition of who's going to be doing what who's going to be going where what time zones they're going to go in and you get this like cool hoorah moment um and is there anything i've missed uh in between that because like i feel like it was just it, it amped up really well to that point and that's basically the one hour mark at that point when they they all dive in and they split up and go to the to complete their various missions yeah so for me there's just little character moments and all of that so uh, you have uh, Scott Lang, who um, you have that beat about uh, 
you have that beat where he's like, um, we don't have many of these pin particles. So we've only got two, two, two tests, and then he accidentally uses one, one test. Um, <laughs> and then you've got the whole discussion of what, like, um, how time travel works, which is really there to, for, to help the audience. Mm. And they bring up loads of films like Back to the Future and blah, 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 that, that use the, the whole sort of, there's one timeline, um, like yeah. type of, um, time travel where you could like erase yourself. Um, and I, I like that they do that and they do it in quite a clean way by using pop culture. Mm. Um, you've got a really cool moment as everyone's coming back as they're like getting the team together. And, uh, Scott's outside about to eat a taco and then oh, the yeah. comes back. <laughs> and you have a really cool unspoken moment as Hulk's going by and, uh, Banner Hulk and he just gives him two tacos and keeps going yeah. like, there's just, it's stuff like that. Uh, and I think, uh, the Josh Whedon films are really good for this. Just little, little moments between the superheroes. Yeah. For the stuff that I just love. Mm. Just blows the filling out of his taco. <laughs> Shit. That's a, that's a dirty sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I love. I do love that moment. Um, yes. Yes. Shall we dive into the actual time heist itself? So when they yeah uh, they end up in 2012 New York, which is Captain America, uh, Tony Stark, and Ant Man. 2013 Asgard, which is Rocket and Thor. Uh, 2014 Morag, which is Nebula and Rhodey. And they claim this is one time zone, but it's kind of, it's basically one team, but it's basically two because it's Nebula, Rhodey in on Morag, but then uh, Natasha and Hawkeye take uh, the plane and travel to Vormir to get the soul stone. So who wants to start? Where do you want to, where do you want to go? Cause let's, um, um let's, it's going to be too hard to dwell on any of these. Yeah. Oh. Let's start with cap and, uh, caps cool little scene that retcons a scene in a previous movie. Doesn't it? Well, but, the whole thing is this, this yeah. starts with like, it says 2012 New York and you get to see that epic spinning shot from you yeah. know, like the peak of the first Avengers movie where you get like that amazing come together yeah. moment. And we see it from a different perspective because it's the the three guys there. Um, we see Hulk like uh, in a rage, smashing and like just beating down on one of the Chitari. And we see Professor Hulk sort of like trying to get into character and like half-hearted tossing a motorbike. He's embarrassed. The side, and, like... He's embarrassed at watching himself. Like when you see old <laughs> photos of yourself on Facebook. I mean, this, like... this time heist is basically yeah. um, just fan service section. Yeah. But fan service done in a way that actually adds to the narrative and adds yeah. to the character. I feel like it's the it's the best of all of these worlds, I and mean, I'm so impressed with how they they laid all this out. Because the 2012 New York thing is essentially um, so they're trying to get the tesseract, if I'm not mistaken, and also whatever was in the staff at the time, because um, they the got mindstone. in the mindstone. The mindstone, because yeah. you see the moment. At the, after the end, like, of the Battle of New York, where, um, like, Loki say, I'd like to have that drink now, we get to see the moment immediately after it where um, they're all going down in the elevator and they're, they're enacting the plan to get both of those uh, those Infinity Stones. Um, and basically, like, one of them succeeds, they get the Mind Stone um, successfully, but they lose the Tesseract, which is something that I find a little bit confusing because it's... Loki spots that the Tesseract is on the floor, grabs it, and just sods off through a portal, right? Yeah. And that's how they lose the Tesseract. So they have to go back even further in time to find a time when they could retrieve the Tesseract and more Pym Particle in the same go. Um, is, is that right? So yeah. We'll fill, yeah. fill in the gaps, you guys. So you've, you've got the bit where um, 
they uh, they get the, the you've got this really cool sequence where it's kind of like we get to see what happens after the last Avengers after the first Avengers film. Sorry, so we we get to kind of see like what's going on when Loki's been Loki's been marched out of the building and everything else, and you've got the staff um, being taken into custody by Shield, and Shield are still Hydra at this point, and Cap has his Hail Hydra moment in the lift. Which oh yeah, it's kind of like a retcon of a because there's a lift fight scene um, with Cap where he's in a lift with a bunch of Hydra agents, and they, the same, exactly the same people, exactly the same people. Yeah, but this time instead of fighting them, he just because he already knows they're Hydra agents, he just says "Hail Hydra," and they just give him the staff, which is really cool. Uh, <laughs> and also a nod to the comics. the recent comics. Yeah, yeah, where mm. Cap said "Hail Hydra." Um, because he was a Hydra sleeper agent or something weird like that. Um, and they had um, a bunch of, uh, like, so you've got Cap trying to get away with the staff. Um, Ant-Man and Tony have been sent to try and get the Tesseract. Um, and they've got, like, this kind of, like, really cool, like, sort of plan of misdirection to try and get the Tesseract. Mm. But that fails, and Loki escapes with the Tesseract kind of just like slips it under his jacket like you said and just kind of like disappears like nopes out of the whole situation because he doesn't want to doesn't want to get put into custody and arrested and whatever else um so uh after that they kind of like hit a snag and they're like well we've got to go back in time now but okay so as that's happening the hulk is in at the um the Talking to the ancient one in Talking the Sanctum to the Santorum. One. Yeah, in the Sanctum Santorum, yeah. And uh, the he's trying to get the time stone from the ancient one. And you've got this whole sequence where the ancient one kind of explains how removing time stones from their specific places in the timeline... Infinity creates, stones. Infinity stones, yeah. Not time stones specific, yeah, infinity stones. From their specific places in the timeline will create branches in the timeline and create different uh, outcomes and different realities. Um, and that they would need to be put back in the in the in the timeline where they belong when when they're done. Basically. Yeah, it's a cool visual. Yeah. Like it's the whole is it's the the Back to the Future line drawing, but with like yeah. flashy visuals. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, we did skip over Cap fighting Cap. Yeah, uh, so we get like old wizened, you know, um, new paradigm Cap fighting uh, young in his slightly gawky looking Avengers one outfit. Um, and he's like, he, I like, I like that he gets the line where he's like, I could do this. And he's like, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, and like he has, he has the whole beat down, and yeah. we get the, we get the great moment of where like earlier Tony Stark makes a comment about like how the outfit doesn't uh, is really unflattering to Captain America's ass, and um, Scott Lang says, as far as I'm concerned, that's America's ass. And so after he's beat, after he's beat the younger version of himself. He like who sprawled out and like facing the camera with his ass fully on display. He's like, that is America's ass. Like just the self satisfaction on his face. Like it's yeah. one of the few times you get to see Steve like really self satisfied with a smirk on his face. And I thought that's a great moment. Yeah, that's good that bit. Um and um yeah, so they go back in time then, and we get this uh, this really cool bit back in the seventies, where they go back in time to New Jersey because Tony kind of works out that. Hank Pym and his dad would have been in the same place at the same time in New Jersey at one point. Well, I think it's more in that he knows that Hank Pym would have 
in there, created the pin particles, and that the Tesseract would be there. I think he's mm. he knows that his dad was working at the time, but I don't think he was expecting to run into his dad. Yeah, he's yeah. definitely surprised when he bumps into his dad and like almost leaves the Tesseract behind in the briefcase and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm misreading that then, but yeah. But it um, is nice that he gets this moment with his with his father, and yeah. and we'll talk about it in a bit. But like, there's there's a overrunning theme of like. Um, being being given the opportunity to talk to your parents at a time when you shouldn't be given the opportunity, like Cassie gets to see her dad again, um, and Tony gets to see Howard in this moment, and they yeah. they talk to each other as both um, in in an inverted way where Howard is about to have Tony as a son, but Tony already has Morgan as you know a five year old daughter, mm. yeah. And so they're giving each other advice in yeah. a weird looped, like time loop sort of way. But like speaking to your parent as like an equal um, mm. and not as a child is a completely different um, like uh, vantage to see your parent for it. So it, it's quite a it's quite a heartening moment for Tony because it opens his eyes on on his relationship with his father. Mm. Mm. And um, it's. When he, when uh, there's like a really cool moment in, in the facility, where um, it's kind of like it's like through this whole film as well. They're building up to the ending for both of these people. So through the whole film, there's all these little moments with Cap when he goes back in time, and there's all these little moments with Tony as well, where they're building up to the way this movie ends for both of these characters. Um, yeah, because Captain uh, cause yeah. Steve Rogers also gets a moment where he encounters, or doesn't encounter, he sees Peggy, yeah. and it's like the life that he—it's another reminder of the life that he lost. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah. I think I think that's a one-two-three as well because I think earlier in the movie when they're on the ship before we get that cool shot that I was talking about with Cap's eyes, mm-hmm. um, uh, Black Widow uh, Nat sees him looking at his Peggy uh, timepiece uh, time thing. Yeah, and then while fighting his younger self, the timepiece falls out. Where did you get that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we missed out the cool bit when he's, when he he uses dirty fighting to beat himself, and it's like <laughs> Bucky is alive. Um, it still reminds me of Batman vs Superman. For some reason, it really reminds me of the like you're killing Martha moment. Like, <laughs> the Martha Bucky's moment. Bucky's alive. Yeah. Why did you say that name? Uh, and and then he's in her office, which is uh, really cool. And he gets to see her in the flesh, moving yeah. around. And it's at that moment he decides to do what he's going to do later. And yeah, because uh, like he's already experienced her aging yeah. and her death to to that point. So yeah, according to some, because this is something I missed when I watched the film. But according to some kind of like uh, some, according to certain places on the internet, um, the like different articles in different places like different easter egg lists and things like that the point where peggy appears in the movie there is a really really like buried reference to captain britain oh okay um and like you it just like literally it's not even blink and you'll miss it it's you need to go back and put captions on or something like that it's weird (laughs) but like Apparently, um, they're talking about Captain Britain uh, when uh, when Captain America sees her through the window into her office, okay. or from her office out of the office. I think he's in her office, isn't he? 
Yeah, he's in her office and she's in yeah. the secondary part. See, my heart was in my mouth at that point because I thought she was going to walk into the office and see him. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was going to be this whole moment right then. But um, we didn't get that. But I'm like, the one of the things that made me happy in this film, like the, the thing that made me the happiest in this film is the way it ended for Cap, definitely. I really, also really forgot like to mention in the elevator we get our second community uh, reference. We'll have a cameo with uh, Yvette Paul Brown. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're just fitting them in in their last movie. Yeah. <laughs> so you're new, yeah, because she like doesn't recognise them, and she obviously knows there's something going on somewhere. She um, yeah. only has a hippie beard, a Mungo yeah. Jerry beard. <laughs> <laughs> you're not right. One of those. So that's that. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Tony's dad calls him a beanick as well. Yeah. <laughs> and there's the original Ant Man mask as well. Mm. With uh, young Hank Pym. And uh, Jarvis, uh, who who being there, uh, marries the uh, Agent Carter TV show and the cinematic MCU. Yes. For the first yeah. time ever. Yes. Original Jarvis. So we're wrapped up with uh, 2012 and the 1970s. Right, so because yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Ant Man's got the got the Mind Stone, um, Steve and Tony have gone back in time and retrieved the Tesseract and a bunch more pin particles, so they can do whatever the hell they want there. So if we let's talk about 2013 Asgard, which is Thor and Rocket, mm-hmm. um, which is basically like they need to extract the ether from Natalie Portman, um, who's like the container for it from Thor two. If I remember correctly, yes. but like really, the crux the crux of this isn't really about that because Rocket quite easily just jabs it into it and runs off. And there's a moment where he's like trying to escape from the um, the Asgardian soldiers. But really, this is about Thor talking to his mother and retrieving Mjolnir. And yeah. so, like, it's nice that he get the, in the, in the second of you know um, talking to your parents after the fact, knowing knowing their demise. Like, this is. Thor realizes they've gone back to the exact same day that his mother is about to die. And so, you know, it's him, one, trying to conceal who he is when it's really obvious that he's not the Thor that left that world at that time. And she sees right through that straight away. But it's also him seeking counsel from her because, like, he, he, even though he's there, he still doesn't quite have the confidence. He doesn't have it in him to follow through on this. He doesn't, he's out there still trying to find the, the liquor store um, in the basement of Asgard. And Rocket's trying really hard to like pull him together, but he just runs off and does it on it, you know, does it on his own in the end. He has to. Um, but the two things I got from this is him, you know, talking to his mother, and then before they depart, he does the thing where he's like, "Hang on a minute, there's a version of Mjolnir this in this land," and he puts his hand out, and like the relief you see on his face when it flies into his hand, and he feels worthy. Like, he didn't know if he was worthy or not, but, like, it comes to him, like it always has. And, like, again, another another really good point of Chris Hemsworth acting, like, the acting in this film in general, like, selling these really fantastical moments. The relief on his face when he realises he's worthy, I think, is is fantastic in this, just yeah. before they, they depart yeah. with, um, with the ether and with Mjolnir. I'm not a bad person. I'm still worthy. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Mm. That resonated with me a lot, that bit. But I really, I really enjoyed that when he got the hammer back, and then um, he he gets the he almost he gets the chance to warn his mother, but his mother kind of like stops him. She's like, "You can't tell me what's going to happen." Mm. Yeah, which is kind of it, it's like because you know he really wants to, but he obviously we know already that we can't meddle with the timelines and things like that, and it's 
But yeah, and, and like yeah, just to add with that, like uh, she really sets him on his way because she yeah. has that line where she's like, everyone fails at who they're supposed to be. Because all these films have been leading to him being like the leader of Asgard, uh, mm-hmm. blah blah, um, and he failed his mission. And I just love the thing where she says. The measure of a person, a hero, is how they succeed at being who they are, yes. and that that is what I think re-energizes him. Because mm. he even has that line where he's like, "I was, um, like, what is it? I like, I kind of like, I failed, and I, I'm not the person who I was supposed to be." And she's like, "Nobody is who they're supposed to be," you know? Yeah, I, I'm just reiterating yeah. what you said. Yeah, I think I, I do think good moment of pathos. Yeah. So they, so the Rocket and Thor have accomplished their mission relatively easily compared to at least um, the the New York team. So we've got um, Nebula and Rhodey on Morag, which is um, a very simple scene, I think, but it mostly goes to setting up how um, one that that Peter Quill is an idiot, which I hundred yeah. percent agree with. Yeah. Because um, we get to see him reenact the opening of Guardians of the Galaxy, but like yeah. from the outside perspective, where he's humming along to his music. Come and um, get your love. Yeah, and they just smack him in the face, which yeah, I fucking love. Um, but it, it serves to show that Nebula is Nebula from our time is connected to 2014 Nebula through, um, I guess just like online crossover, or whatever. Like yeah, the cloud. The same, the yeah, cloud. the cloud basically, and that becomes the contrivance, or well, not the contrivance. That yeah. becomes the plot of how 2014 Thanos um, realizes that you know the current day Thanos has succeeded and been killed um, so he knows that there's an opportunity for him to retrieve the the stones from this team who are currently on their way to retrieve the stones from the past quite a, quite a convoluted plot when you think about it but it's expressed really well like, he just like he gets yeah confusing. he the he the the MacGuffin is the fact it is um nebulous memories Yes. So, because yeah. he can, he can just get in and just retrieve Nebula's memories because he's got a Nebula in his time, and the two of them are connected mm. because there's two of them in there at once, and they both share the same. Um, I think they both, um, because of the way he's got Nebula kind of like calibrated and set up mm. after he's been like augmenting her and, and like doing experiments on her and stuff. I think her, I think she kind of like she's kind of like. Um, she kind of like pings off his equipment in his ship, and I think yeah. They, to be fair, they I, don't, I don't think I need the explanation. Yeah, for that. like I'm yeah. happy with the hand wave of like they're on the cloud together. Yeah, it kind of works. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. we we do get some nice moments between Nebula and Rhodey, and like yeah. Rhodey having a bit of concern for her. Like, don't walk into the the obvious trap. This is where the spikes come out of the walls with skeletons on them and stuff. And she's just like yeah. sod it and shoves her metallic hand into the force field yeah. to pick up. Yeah, the, the power stone was it? In the yes, yes the power stone, the you orb. You don't walk into the temple of the power stone and it, like <laughs> expect it to not be booby trapped. <laughs> I, I do love that where, as her arms like, uh, yeah. and and um, they have this really connective moment because he's now been paralyzed because of the events of. Civil I wasn't War. always like this. Yeah, hmm. I like that. Hmm. That's good because he's he's now. Um, he he has to have a, a special suit or a, like something attached to his back, doesn't he, so that he can walk? Yeah, he's paralyzed yeah. from the waist down. Yeah, yeah. and um, obviously Nebula doesn't really feel pain anymore. Hmm. Um, but yeah, she she grabs the stone out of the uh, whatever kind of power it's in, and um, 
from that point forward, I think um, we go over to the Soulstone. Yeah, my yeah. least favourite part of this movie, if I'm being mm. honest. Just just before we jump onto that, though, I, I think um, I really like the bit where Thanos is watching the memories play through. Mm. And there's the bit where he sees himself before he dies. I am inevitable. And you see a smirk come up on his face when he's like, yeah, I did it. And then yeah. immediately he gets his head gets um, cut off and he's like, okay. And Ebony was like me. proper shocked for him. Yeah. yeah. Is, I think that's a really yeah. good moment. I don't. I still don't think he actually cares. I think watching himself die is just like, oh well, for him. Like in within Thanos's character, as I know Thanos, it would just be a oh well, you know. So that's though. so that's how it happens, kind of thing, you know. Mm. It wouldn't bother him, I, and he wouldn't try and change it. He's just like, so what? I do like uh, Nebula in these scenes. Like we see 2014 Nebula. Yeah. Uh, like we get a moment of uh, her and Gamora fighting some whatever villains of the moment and like there's a point where Gamora saves her and she just like humps down on the floor and like smacks her hand away as she's like offering it to pull her up I just I love Nebula she's my favourite character I think mm. or um, among them yeah and um when she steals part of new Nebula to go back in time and pretend she's new Nebula she like nicks yeah she bit. steals like the yellow the yellow yeah. eyebrow piece thing yeah. Yellow plate off Nibbly's head, yeah. Hmm. Um, so, your least favourite part of the film then, Ray? Yeah, Vormir. And I think Leon will echo this. Yeah. He's talked about how he hates the uh, the contrivance of the Soul Stone. Because yeah. how do you describe it? D&D something? It, it, it comes off like a like a lazy D&D scenario. I just don't mm. like it. It's, yeah. it, it, it's not elegant in terms of story. Because it's just like this mystical place at the the center of celestial blah blah blah, and it's just like dominion uh, of life and death, and you have yeah, to and it's 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 just it's yeah. it's a setup in a way that is just it's not like it's it's unbelievable for this universe because obviously we have all types of uh, wild stuff going on, but it's more just like it's a very boring way to do this. It's I think it's it's meant to be like this cool thing because of the sacrifice element. But instead, the whole thing of, like, the sacrifice, it just seems so contrived. And, mm. like, there's so many, like... I don't really care about functional questions about how mm. it works. But I do kind of hate that it has this stupid expositional thing of, like, these rules you have to do and blah, blah. It's like, all the other stones <laughs> don't have this crap. Yeah. And this one is the most boring... Like, how we discover it in, in Infinity War, it's so... So lame. All these movies, we've, we've been wondering, uh, like, where it's been. Um, and all, nearly all of the suggestions that I would hear seem way better than Vormir. It's like, <laughs> I just hate it. You have to give up a soul to get a soul. And it's just... I honestly thought this was going to be a thing of um, Hawkeye's already lost his entire family. Yeah. So, like, he's already given up the things he loves the most. So there would that would be the, the contrivance to get them both back alive. And I kind of think that it sucks that Natasha had to die. Like, I get that it's the heroic sacrifice for the sake... One, for the sake of the world, because, you know, it needs to yeah. be done, and she knows it. Uh, but also for Hawkeye's sake, because he gets to go back to his family. Like, it's still... Natasha really gets short thrift in these movies like she gets yeah given kind of shitty lines in age of ultron where she uh she has these things of like she's less than human or she's a monster as well just because 
um, because of the circumstances of her, uh, I guess, being unable to have children. That's like the insinuation in that film. Um, but like, you know, like all of this stuff about her history and like the fact that he's got a family in, in that he lost. She also has family. She has family in the Avengers. We'll get into that later on. So did she have a family? She had us. Like, what makes her life any less worthy than his? I think that there's some stuff there that could be explored better. Um, but I feel like it was really flippant, like, it was so flippantly discarded. And the fact mm-hmm. that she's, like, the the first female Avenger, and to, like, let her go so flippantly, like, just irks me quite a lot. And it and the wasn't, fact that... she didn't even get, like, more than a, oh she's gone kind of thing like they had like a little moment of let's everybody look a little bit sad now yeah Natasha's hulk gone. throws a bench and then like yeah let's get on with it and the, i don't know the, and the fact that it's meant it could be a really dramatic moment like they're both fighting to um sacrifice each other for each, themselves for each other um and they're you know they're doing this inverse battle where the the winner gets to die uh for the sake of the other but I feel like it was too comedic and it like undercut the tragedy that was about to happen. And then, I don't know, I, it just felt weird to me. I, mean, I didn't like mm. the whole thing. And even just some of the edits in that whole sequence where like they're discussing what needs, like the mechanics of this D&D thing that Leon expressed, like that they need to do to get the stone. And then it suddenly cuts to like Natasha being sat down, Hawkeye brooding on the side and like uh, the Red Skull just floating weirdly in the background. Just none of it worked for me, being honest. I would have I would have preferred Hawkeye went over the edge instead of, and I, I think they knew we were all expecting that. To be honest, yeah. I think that in them doing the non-obvious subversion thing, I think they actually like hurt the story a bit. Yeah, um, and I think that I think that character still like they said that they're closing her loop and she's got the red out of the ledger. But mm. I, I don't know. I, I think there's still more to mine out of this character, and I think that. Um, like especially seeing her as like being the leader of the Avengers during during they, the five year dark time, like yeah, I, I just yeah, I don't know, it, it just it just feels uh, like uh, again, it feels unelegant, and I think that they wanted to have that reunion scene with um, Hawkeye and his family. I mean, they started the movie that way, and I think that's that's when they <clears throat> that's why they sort of dug their dug their heels in with this. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know, like, I, I don't like a lot of that scene. There, there are bits leading up to that scene that I really like, like when they're on oh, they're the, on the plane together. Yeah. And it's like, uh, where it's a long way from Budapest. And just the glee, like, this is the stuff that I like. Like, people, they're mm. gleeful that they're in space. And when they land and form it, it's like, um, apart from the, like, it's a shame about the circumstances, but otherwise this would look very, uh, very, very cool. And like, yeah, like I think the raccoon space. didn't have to climb a mountain. Yeah, like they're <laughs> in space in like in alien planets. Like I, I love how human that stuff is. Hmm. But like when it comes to that element, I don't really mind too much the back and forth stuff. Uh, but I just feel like the whole thing just plays out kind of weirdly. And like it's one of those annoying things where the audience know what's coming, but no one else knows that you have to do a sacrifice that way. But you don't have the tension of that, and like, who's it going to be? Um, and yeah, something about it, it just doesn't play well. Um, yeah. Like, and there's also a really cool setup with that because even before, well, they're on the ship. Uh, Rody has that line uh, to uh, to both of them: "Is like, watch each other six. And they like Natasha hugs Rody, and all, like you have all these mm. cool human moments. 
back um, just before they go through the quantum time t- uh, tunnel, uh, she sort of dooms herself in a horror movie way, which is just like, uh, is it see you in a minute? Which is a very yeah. like cool, yeah. like light Natasha line, which I really like. Um, and the the only part of the Vormir bit which does work is the very last bit for her when the camera's on a close up. Um, and she's looking up, at, uh, looking up at him, and like that stuff uh, was delivered. Those lines were delivered really well. Mm. Um, and then she like kicks off, and yeah, like I don't know, I I'm not a fan of of that part. Like, no. I'm not saying Hawkeye die and get no uh, redemption or whatever, but I just think it it hurts the film a bit, and it I, it yeah it it hurts. It hurts. I agree. Uh, going forward, I agree, and I I would have preferred Hawkeye went over the edge, and I I feel like it's the same problem that we had with Infinity War when this moment came up and Gamora had to die, so that Thanos could have the Soul Stone, and it's just it's just a similar issue, and they like for for Black Widow Black Widow's arc to end this way, like for for this to be the end of Black Widow. Is I think they kind of did a dirty a little bit. Mm. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. And you, mm-hmm. I mean, there are differences because I think one of the things that is intended is that because she's it's her decision, she has the agency, she kicks yeah. off. Um, she's making the sacrifice not just for the universe but for her best friend. Like that gives her agency in the situation and uh, technically stops it being uh, a, a fridging uh, diegetically. Yeah. Yeah. But I think non diegetically. I mean, the film's written by two dudes and directed by two dudes. Uh, and I think that... I, I can see how, structurally, she's she's the, she is one of the main choices for this thing, because you couldn't really do it with any other character. But there was one other character you could do it with, and he was right there. So <laughs> I think it would have been better for him. I think it would have been better for Hawkeye, just as, uh, to remember him as this, um, and his legacy... If he was the one who uh, who had um, sacrificed himself, yeah, because that would have paved the way for like cool things that they could have done in later movies, like his daughter coming back as like the next Hawkeye, things like mm. that. Which I, I'm pretty sure they're going to do if he's been teaching her how to use a bow and arrow. But like, I don't know. Yeah, that 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 happened how it happened, and we lost Black Widow and. The most irritating thing about that as well is the fact that no one even really seemed to bat an eyelid about it. And you're saying that, oh, maybe... I remember I had this discussion with you at the weekend and you're like, oh, maybe they uh, they, they did, like, a service for her off camera or something like that. But... I didn't say that part. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Someone I, I said think... that and, and I, I, I'm like, no. No, no, I, no, no, no. I do think, though, that you are underselling a little bit the um, the scene they do have. Yeah. Um, because it isn't just uh, a couple lines and Hulk throws a thing. Like, they are <laughs> all broken and, like, crying. And yeah. the one downside of that sequence is that um, it's all the dude. It's all dude. Uh, which makes this, uh, her death a bit more stark in that sense. Yeah. But uh, it, it does it does affect them, and uh, Tony reiterates the, the line that she has early in the movie about it being her family, like uh, Rahul Rahul mentioned earlier. Yeah. And then um, they uh, from there they have all of the stones, and 
they're trying to decide who's going to wear the gauntlet. And throughout well, they, all of... So, like, first yeah. they jump back and they have that moment where they're all on the platform except for Natasha. Yeah. And we get the overhead shot of them, like, just in despair uh, before we get that moment on the dock where they're, they're talking about yeah. throws the bench. And, 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 yeah. and throughout all of this, there's one question. Where's Captain Marvel? <laughs> oh, she's, she she said it earlier there she's dealing with stuff on a thousand other planets where a thousand other planets that don't have the avengers which well, is a fine which is like yeah it's a hand wave but i can i can let it go for now she also says like it'll it'll, it, um, it'll probably take me a while so yeah. it probably uh type yeah. that but yeah so, uh, it's kind of annoying <laughs> but yeah so captain marvel is like i mean like this is where they need her because she could have worn the gauntlet yeah, see, I do think that um, one other line that would have been great is if she'd have said, but if anything happens and you figure something out, send me a text and I'll be on my way. And if they'd have just wait, like if they send her a text on her pager and then just wait with the gauntlet for a little while and she, you know, just give her half an hour to get back home, like like what happens in the next half an hour, it could have been sorted. But yeah. I, I guess not. Like I, I, I agree with you. These kind of things are frustrating, and they'll they'll ruin the film for you if you let them burrow too deep. Maybe I, I think I'm letting them burrow too deep, Ray. Yeah, I think, and I think possibly <laughs> I'm forgiving them too lightly. But yeah, like, well, I, I've got I've got general Captain Marvel things that I'll get onto later because I've got other way they handle that character. Okay, but like she, yeah, so she could have worn the gauntlet, and I'm pretty sure she could have taken it better than Hulk could. Oh, but, for sure. Yeah, so, like, that was the... Another thing mechanically about the gauntlet is, like, if you're wearing that gauntlet, you have access to limitless power. That's the whole point of the Infinity Stones, right? You have dominion over time, space, etc., 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 right? You are omniscient and, and, like, omnipotent and everything else. So, why does it hurt to use it? Because the stones should counteract each other. Like, if you're clicking your fingers and using the stones to erase half of all life in the universe, that... that... I don't know. They, they set up quite easy that, um, like, the whole point of, like, Thanos getting, getting them is that he's quite powerful. And he can he can stomach um, having them, and at that uh, um, there's a point at the beginning of Infinity yeah. War. It's like you're the first being to ever hold two Infinity. Mm. I also and I think feel, it's, it's yeah. monumental that it's him who's got mm. them. Yeah, I also feel like they're underselling the stones a little. I feel like the stones are nerfed though. Like, yeah, that's what I mean. The like they're un- yeah, like but versus... like I'd rather that than have them be this like entirely. Um, a devastating thing. I like that there's almost a limited resource, or like it does take some pain. It takes some. It takes something out of you to use them, because otherwise it's too easy. But what? What and he you, was, you wouldn't yeah. have any of this drama. I liked what I liked. Like this is the thing. Like in in the Infinity War movie, like there's a, the really cool sequence where he uses the Reality Stone, and he like spiralizes two of the Guardians. <laughs> well, or he spiralizes um, Mantis, doesn't he? Yeah. And turns Drax into, like, makes Drax cubes crumble, in. turns him into cubes yeah. or something, yeah. See, that that's kind of cool. Like, more of that, please, because that's what the stones are for, you know? Well, we wanted more of that in Infinity War, and they only gave us that once. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, this more of that kind of stuff would be nice, where he's actually using the stones to their full potential. That's an Infinity War um, yeah. uh, criticism there. Yeah, I know, but mm. I, I think in Endgame, they could have done that if they hadn't had him destroy all the stones at the beginning. <laughs> but I think that's the point, because he talks about temptation. Yeah, they, they wasted that gauntlet. So, so I think it builds on his on his purpose and his destiny yeah. and his goal, that it wasn't about raging power. Yeah. It was about completing that one task. And when he did it, done it. Didn't need him, yeah. But yeah, so straight yeah. after this, we get the, the setup for, like, the stones being put in an Iron Man gauntlet. Yeah. Um, which, <laughs> like, magically expands to fit Hulk's, um, Hulk's hand. Oh, so, we do get a bit of, we get a bit of discussion about who should wield it. And okay. we get that that we get that frustrating moment yeah. with Thor, where Thor's like, "Let me do it, just let me do it, let me do something good. I want to be able to contribute again because he feels like he's contributed nothing. He's been, you know, he's been dismissed and laughed at this entire time. He's right. been, you know, called names and shoved aside. He wants so, to do it. Here's hmm. one for you: Thanos's gauntlet had to be forged in a cosmic forge at the heart of a dying star, right? The same place that Stormbreaker was made." Like a weapon of the gods. Yet, on Earth, Tony Stark can fashion a gauntlet that is capable of holding the Infinity Stones. Nanotech, man. Can do anything. I don't buy it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I like That's the kind of stuff that I, I didn't even think about. Like I, don't, I guess I don't really care about that part, if I'm being honest. I don't know. I just, I just don't buy that. Well, because the stuff that I... Do like like ignoring the mechanics of the stones and stuff because that never really concerned me that much. But like what it does give you is this opportunity for Thor to have his like he is vying for a reason to to be again. Um, but he gets passed over in favor of Hulk, who knows he has to be the one to do it. One because he's stronger than Thor in that moment, um, like physically and mentally, I guess. Uh, but he also says. Like another hand wave that the stones give off gamma radiation, and that's basically his whole thing is that he's you know filled with gamma, and so he knew it had to be him. So it's that that moment of like it's it's his sacrifice moment, which is kind of undercut because it already feels like he'll be able to survive it anyway. But he do, he basically yeah. he succeeds. He puts on the gauntlet. We get that swelling moment. Um, Tony initiates like the the lockdown procedure where the whole Avengers compound is. Um, is shut down, all the, the barriers are put up. Music swells, we see Hulk click, and I can't remember if it like flashes to white or anything, but we get like a very serene moment immediately after where like, or no, well, no, uh, we see him struggle in pain, take the gun off, they kick it aside, but then we get a serene moment where Scott Lang is looking out of the window that's been opened up again, and we can hear um, like birds singing in the background. Well, we can right? see the birds as well, and they're in the them. little garden. And I feel like that's a really deft moment of, like, it really sells the idea that the world has been refilled with life, mm. even though you don't really get to see much. I feel like maybe the plant life is slightly more fruitful and you can see and hear birds where you couldn't before. I, I do feel like that's a very effective way of expressing that they've come back without showing everybody having come back and without having to go into the detail of, like, where they all, like, the stuff that we were nerding out um, about immediately after the film came out, where, like, where did all these people go? Where did they put them? Did they, people who were in an aeroplane when they got snapped, did they get brought back into an aeroplane? What happened to all the people who died as a consequence of was snapped? So, for example, if there was a helicopter pilot 
who got snapped away and the helicopter crashed. Do the passengers of that helicopter come back? Who knows? We don't get to see that in this film. But it, they don't. I'm sure they don't. I'm I'm <laughs> with you there. I think what I think is that they were all like because it seems like Hulk has some agency in what's happening with with the unsnapping that he does because he says later on that I tried really hard to bring Natasha back but he couldn't. So even though it seems to us it's only like you know 15 seconds that he's going through this. There must be something internally where he gets to like have an internal dialogue with the stones about how things work. And it's based off like intention and he's one of the smartest people on the planet. Exactly, yeah. So I'm assuming he's he's thought through the procedure and everybody all the souls who are lost are brought back in an appropriate way and not like um occupying the same space and exploding into jibs or anything like that. I think everything works out fine. Yeah, um, it could, could be even be as simple as something like all the people who were snapped uh to reappear safely where they were snapped. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere on the ground, safely, where it's, um, you know, they're not drowning, they're not covered in yeah. spikes, they're not in a building that's fallen over or anything. Yeah. That that whole thing where, when you get like a, so say you're playing D and D and you get offered a wish, you have to construct the wish in such a way that the DM can't fuck with you using it. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or like like when you're um when you're building like a video game. And you're put, you're populating the world with like characters. You always let them hover slightly over the surface they're going to occupy. Because if you try and put them on the ground, they'll clip into the floor and then like fling off to the other side of the map. But instead, you let them drop a millimeter and they'll land exactly where they are. I think that's what he just he just did it like a video game map He's using the Unreal Engine. Yeah, you reckon? Yeah, that's exactly it. Hulk seems like a nerd. He knows what he's doing. Mm, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but yeah. um... It's so after that, everyone's back. But guess what? Thanos from the past knows what. Whoa, 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 whoa! No, no, we have a whole because uh, immediately after that serene moment, we have like got just about to say, "I think we did it," or something really positive, and then the whole Avengers compound explodes, and we get this slightly protracted sequence of uh, Rhodey, Rocket, um, Hawkeye, and Scott being trapped under rubble, or like Scott having been instinctively. Uh, sent to his miniature state survived and him rescue like on the way to rescue them we get this sequence of Hawkeye finding the gauntlet and realizing that he's surrounded by Chitauri and like escaping the compound yeah they're, they're not uh Chitauri they're the the thingy riders from Infinity War ah right okay yeah some sort of weird, gross-looking monster, and they're thing. chasing him through the uh, the ruins of the uh, Avengers Tower, yeah, and uh, the Avengers compound, and he's got the uh, Infinity Gauntlet, and it's this kind of cool like uh, sequence of him uh, running through, and then all of a sudden, like uh, he does, he does all these like really awesome things with his like his different arrows, like his explosive arrows and stuff like mm. that, and and I, I guess you know. For for all the things we've said about Hawkeye, that is a cool sequence. Yeah, Hawkeye's and, cool there. He yeah. has his sword as he's going up and lighting yeah. them up. And then um, you get that bit where it kind of just like it makes you your toes curl, toes curl a little bit because you kind of know what's going to happen because he sees Nebula and you know it's not the right Nebula and you're like no. <laughs> And she's like... That's the thing, like, because yeah. we, we briefly did skip the scene where what's intercutting as uh, Hulk is putting on the gauntlet is that uh, 2014 Gamora is uh, basically bringing uh, a miniaturized version of Thanos' mothership 
Oh yeah, <laughs> through through the um, the quantum time tunnel, um, and that is a wild sequence because as it's happening, mm. they don't even notice the explosion. Yeah, mm. and we don't even get to see it like mm. zap back to normal size or anything like that. Mm. And um, where where did Gamora go? <laughs> How yeah. did she escape the? <laughs> like did, did she like okay you've got you've got sixty seconds. <laughs> she just had to sprint. <laughs> Where did, where did anyone road. go, man? Where did anyone go? Mm. It's like it, it's like Thanos, like twenty fourteen Thanos just comes back and he's just like fires a missile, blows everything up. All of a sudden, it's hell on earth again. And but I do like that he's just sat at the bottom of the like this battlefield he's constructed. Yeah, does the whole like half scarecrow thing where he stabs his sword in, sword into the ground, puts his yeah. helmet on it. And then asks Nebula to go and retrieve the gauntlet, and he's, she's like, "What are you gonna do?" He's like, "Wait." Yeah, yeah. Cell <laughs> games. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Cell games, Thanos. <laughs> Standing there waiting for people to come and challenge him, he's like, "Come on, man, come on." And while he's sat there waiting, we see Thor sort of like at the top of all this rubble, just observing him. And then uh, Steve and Tony sort of join up with him and say, "What he's been doing? What has he been doing? He's just been he's been sat there." Um, and then we get the cool like power up moment where um, Thor summons the lightning and it like changes his outfit and magically braids his beard and he gets um, like he retrieves Mjolnir and Stormbringer at the same time and like readies up and the three of them like go and encounter Thanos so before we get the moment where everyone's turned because we don't see the consequences of Hulk's snap return Apart we from have... the uh, the uh, Hawkeye's phone going off and, and the birds, as you mentioned. Yes, mm. yeah. But we do get this initial pretty awesome fight sequence between Thanos and Thor, Steve, Tony. So do you want to dive into that? Um, yeah, that is that is an awesome, awesome fight sequence. And Thor is looking pretty all-fathery there. Like, yeah. Um, I guess that's kind of like the thing. Like, he's... He's trans. He's become Odin. Like he lost an eye. He's put on some weight. <laughs> you know, he's like he's he he's looking like like his father now, basically when he's fighting. Um, and that's kind of cool. I like I like Thor with Stormbreaker and um Mjolnir. Hmm. You know, like, well, we get we get a glimpse into Thor. Yeah, but then we get a glimpse into how just how strong Thanos is because he doesn't have the power of the gauntlet at this time. Like he obviously doesn't have it. He's just he's fighting these three like amazing superheroes just off his own strength, and he goes a long way to beating them all down. Like you know, you have these this protracted fight sequence which ends with like Tony having been flung to the other side of the battlefield, Steve having been um, shoved to the side, and. Uh, he grabs Stormbringer and he's like shoving it into Thor's chest, and we get like the the biggest or the like one of the biggest rousing moments of the film. Like, who wants to who wants to explain what happens? Neither of you, me. Okay, fine. Yeah. So like he's shoving he's shoving Stormbringer into Thor, and we like we're at the precipice of despair, and we see. We see Mjolnir fly into shot and smack Thanos out the way, and then it hovers in midair and then flings back, and we see it fling all the way through the frame back into Steve Rogers' hand. And he does the whole thing where he's like, 
he, like you see the like the weight of his arm being pulled back by Mjolnir, and it's that moment where you realize that yes, he's worthy enough to wield it. And the, my favorite thing about that moment is not just the fact that it's been seeded from Age of Ultron that he was almost worthy at that point because we see him shift a little bit, but in that moment we see Thor's despair because we see like how concerned he is that maybe Steve is going to take this away from him. But in this moment, with how broken Thor has been this entire time, he is so pleased for Steve that he get you know, he's like, I knew it. I knew that you would be worthy to do this. And, like, they're on the same team. They're on the same page. He's not even slightly concerned about losing yeah. his right to Asgard. Like, he's he's lost Asgard. What does that mean to him? It means more to him that Steve has this power than for him to have lost it. And that is, like, such an amazing moment on so many different levels. Yeah, that, that was probably the biggest chair that... um we got in the cinema uh, on that first viewing. Yeah, that, our screen like, erupted. Yeah, it, it was like next level. And, and the thing is, the way that shot begins as well is that uh, you see Monia lift off the ground first. Mm. So you kind of think, oh, is that Thor trying to bring it to him? And then it, when it like flies it, uh, into Thanos and then goes back and then it's just such a well uh, like shot uh, visual. It's just made, it's like perfect gifable uh, thing, like mm. image. And the thing is, in terms of modern popcorn uh, uh, four-quadrant cinema, like that is like peak, because the amount of build-up to get to that moment mm. is um, was immense. Was, is immense. I, I can't describe how much energy was in the room when that happened. And it, when I saw it again the second time, even though my cinema was a lot uh, quieter, People made big noise for that. People, yeah. people were shocked. There were gasps. Hmm. And then immediately after, we get some amazing tech from Steve. Like, like he's, it's like he's playing a video game and he knows he's been observing it for years. Finally, has his hands on it and knows exactly what to do. Like he's using his shield and Mjolnir in like perfect synchronicity, where he's like throwing the shield at Thanos. It bounces back. He throws the hammer at it, and like they both ricochet off off his villain. It's just. Um, some of the some of the action in that sequence is so cool with the way that they the, like the things that we loved about the first Avengers where we see um, uh, like Thor blast um, Iron Man with lightning and it powers up his his fo- uh, photon blasters or like we see these different things interact but it's all happening from this one guy doing it all on his own and that's it's just cool seeing like yeah that, that synchronicity of movement just and that's the thing there's a, there's a lot of payoff as, as you bring up Avengers because shortly before that you have the bit where uh, Iron Man is like power, uh, something like power me up uh, oh yeah, yeah. and uh, using both uh, Stormbreaker and Mjolnir he like mm. charges all the electricity but then the uh, one of the Steve combos as he's doing like the uh, the lightning flips and stuff with mm. the uh, with Mjolnir is that he like there's a thing where he throws the shield and then uh, throws Mjolnir into it, which yeah. is kind of like a callback to um, uh, for um, uh, bringing the hammer down onto uh, the shield in mm. the first Avengers. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of like just cool, like like you were saying before, Rahul, it's like fan service, but like earned fan service. Mm. Like there's so many, uh, like you can only get here by lead. Uh, leaving all these seeds, like, planting all these seeds to go with, like, mm. so, like, all of it feels so organic that we get here, like, any other thing um, would feel silly, like, uh, Steve having the hammer and using using it um, uh, with the, all the electricity, it, it would be a silly, like, Photoshop visual type thing, if you mm. saw 
an image of it without any of the context. But of all the context before, it just feels perfectly natural. It doesn't feel like a cheat at all. And that's why yeah. it's such a great moment. Yeah. And the battle just kind of like rages on. And... Like, get, yeah, we, yeah. We, we get the swell, but then Thanos still overpowers him. And we get this, this awful moment, like, um, where Thanos is beating Steve down, cracks his shield, chips bits away off of, um, off of Captain America's shield. And we get that, that clip that you get from the trailer where he's got, like, half of a broken shield, which looks, I think, identical to the broken shield in Tony Stark's vision at the start of Age of Ultron. It is. Right? It has the exact same, um, yeah. Uh, outline is that and we get that bit of where he's like bracing he's, he's pulls the leather straps and like gets ready for his final confrontation because he thinks that this is this is it what can you do like he's he's summoning all the strength he has remaining grits his teeth pulls these things onto his arm and we get and well we get slightly second. before that it's hmm. like uh thanos is saying that i don't normally take it personal uh before this yeah, um, but with Earth, he's he's going to because he's already set his plan. This time, when when he snaps, it's not going to be to disintegrate people, but to basically destroy the universe and rebuild it uh, in in his image from the <laughs> beginning, so people don't have any connection to what was before. Mm. Um, and he's basically you see all of his like various collected beasts, like these big gorilla things coming out, and it's like they they're going to lay siege to Earth, basically. Yeah, he's like, his whole army is there, like, his entire armada. And then, all of a sudden, all the people that got brought back when uh, well, Hulk brought everyone back. The thing is, the way it's presented is more... It's yeah. a softer moment. Yeah. Because you start, as he's, as, as Ralph was saying, as he's bracing the shield, you start to hear uh, the radio going off in his ear. And, and it's, uh, it's Falcon. Yeah. And, uh, and at first he's saying, like, he's like, cat, cat. And then, uh, like uh, Steve is all like, eh, "What's going? On? What's going on?" And then you just have uh, just the perfect moment of on your left, and then yeah. a portal starts to open on his left. Yeah, and all the forces of Wakanda. Well, uh, it, the, the thing about that moment that is amazing is that we get these two silhouette, uh, three silhouettes walking out, and everyone's like, the cinema was almost pin drop at that moment because there was yeah. a chair at the on your left. But like it's almost a pin drop. Like who's coming out? Who's coming? Out? And then the chairs start to build. As you see that it's uh, T'Challa, Okoye, and um, Shuri uh, walking out, ready for battle. And then you see behind them that it's actually Wakanda in the background. And then you see that's when we get um, the, like the track on the on the score is called Portals, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so rousing. And then in that in that sequence, we see all these portals start to open, and then that's when we get like. Beautiful, beautiful fan service of uh, <laughs> people that we love coming back. Yeah, like even every Howard single the person. Even Howard the Duck. Yeah, even Howard the Duck. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like literally everyone's there at this final battle. Like every single character from the entire 22 movie history of the MCU. Who is not, who is not dead. <laughs> who's not dead, yeah. He's yeah. <laughs> there. And Pepper Potts is there and she's rescue now because she's got an Iron Man outfit on and... Like, it's just so cool. Just well, I think it's like together. It, it, seeing all those people come out, and then you have that moment with Doctor Strange talking to Wong. It's like, is this everyone? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and then um, Giant Man smashes out of the ground. Yeah. Um, yeah. Having saved 
Rodian rocket. Yeah. Uh, and it, like in the palm of his hand. And it's such a great moment. And you, you have the camera panning over, and uh, when it opens up on Titan, uh, and we get um, Drat, um, Mantis, uh, Quill, and then you see... And Peter lands, and his mask comes off the nanomachines. Like, that was that was such an emotional moment for me. Because, like, <laughs> yeah, I knew he was coming back. I knew the movie's got a sequel. But it's what it means to people like Tony and what it means in terms of everyone else. Like, people love Spider-Man. And in that moment, mm. that I think of, of the people coming back, there's Black Panther and Spider-Man who got the biggest sort of cheers yeah, yeah. Um, during, during that moment. And it was just it's such a beautiful, beautiful moment as that happens. Um, that as the camera pans out and everyone comes out, he was come out, da 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 da, and then you, it, the camera goes back on on Cap, and he just says Avengers and pulls back Monier uh, to get into the pose. Assemble, it's so good, <laughs> yeah. it's so good. Like just thinking about it makes me smile. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's great. That, that's pure cinema. I'm sorry, that is pure cinema. Because uh, it's beautiful. it's the way that like you can hear like Thor drops down into frame as well, and like yeah. you hear Mjolnir and and like the way that Steve like pulls his hand back and like boom, Avengers assemble. Like oh, it's so good. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. <laughs> and like at that moment, I think everybody in the cinema. Including us, became kids again. <laughs> and it's the way that the Alan Silvestri um, uh, theme, where it, like it crescendos like three or four times in a row, like it really that moment. It's like dun 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 yeah. dun dun. <laughs> like it just doesn't end. It's so cool. Yeah, that bit and, is really cool when everyone's there, and then and then we, yeah yeah then we dive into like the very final extremely long sort of like crisscrossing complicated network of uh of just fighting for a good 20 like 15 20 minutes and what it really boils down to is them taking on the force like thanos's forces which is one of them so like trying to keep them keep them at bay and the second important part is playing like catch the gauntlet so we see hawkeye run out with the gauntlet um and we get that really cool moment with um t'challa who's like um, Clint, like, because uh, what was it, Leon? I, I didn't catch it was, the first time. In Civil War, you have that moment where um, him, uh, Charla and Clint face off because everyone's fighting. And then Clint's like, oh, uh, we haven't met. Um, I'm Clint. And uh, Charla's just like, I don't care. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's such a great moment because, like, it's such a good moment of brevity during that sequence um, that, like, I love the callback. And it's like, Clint. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, like he knows his name, and yeah, so um, Hawkeye passes the gauntlet onto T'Challa, who then uh, tosses it to Spider-Man, I think, or like it basically gets tossed around a few of the different heroes. Ends up with Spider-Man, who is like, gets overwhelmed by the forces, even though he's put on like his insta-kill mode, where his eyes flash red and like the spider arms come out of his suit and like attacking everything. Um, Steve throws Mjolnir at at Parker, um, who grabs it on his way past, who then goes flying by hanging onto like Mjolnir flying through the air gets caught by Valkyrie and then gets basically like ragdolled around holding on till Captain Marvel shows up. Um, I don't know, because there's, there's a moment before where Scarlet Witch encounters Thanos and she's like, um, uh, I'll make you, uh, like, in so what, in, I'm paraphrasing, but I'll, like, I'll make you pay. Well, um, she, she, yeah, she says like, yeah, you took everything from me and then Thanos is like, um, I don't even know I who you are. Know who you are. <laughs> 
And then she's like, you will. Uh, it's, it's a quite bad moment because, like, it starts being questions like, is she the strongest Avenger? Because she's <laughs> killing him at that she moment. She starts to shred him, yeah. Yeah. She's yeah, like, he, he, him around he, like a ragdoll. He makes the choice to, like, fire upon his own forces to, to escape from her grasp. Because that's what happens. So his, uh, his, uh, battleship that's in the air starts, um, launching volleys down to the, to the ground, like, um, on his side and our side. And so all the, um, all of Doctor Strange's forces are putting up, like, these mystical shields. And all of a sudden, the, the barrage stops and starts firing into the air. And they're like, who are they firing at? And then Captain Marvel has her pretty amazing intro, despite, like, not having much to do in this film. She gets a really cool introduction where she blasts yeah. through the ship, like we saw her do in her own movie, where she yeah. just, like, plows through an entire ship, and just destroys ship it. Apart. Takes the ship apart and then lands in front of Peter. In, like, says, almost Gundam style. And it's like, <laughs> Danvers Ex Machina just turns up and just like, shreds <laughs> yeah. the ship. And, like... It, 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 is, it is a great moment. Um, yeah. And, like, it's, it's a great moment in a, in a scene filled with great moments. Because before then, they've, they're like, um, the time machine's broken, blah, 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 and then Ant-Man is like, there's another time machine. And it's the van, and and then that's what they're going towards. Like when you have that sequence of her like smashing through it, like because I remember watching it the second time, I didn't realize that she went back under and straight up through it. Like she really (laughs) ripped it to uh, ripped it to shreds. Mm. And then yeah, as she lands, it's like because she has that cool glowy Super Saiyan thing going. So Mm. it's just such a cool visual. Um, and then when she lands, and, uh, Peter's just hugging, <laughs> just <laughs> hugging um, the uh, the Iron Gauntlet, and you get that great line of like, uh, uh, "Hi, I'm, P- I'm Peter Parker." It's like, "Hi, Peter Parker." Yeah, it's like, "Uh, <laughs> Hi, Peter, it's so you got good. something for me?" Yeah. <laughs> so good. You got something. But then this is this is basically where it devolves. I kind of forget how it happens, but Thanos gets like perilously close to getting the gauntlet. In fact, he does. Like, he fights Danvers, um, and she, like, he gets the glove on, and then she encounters him again, holds his, like, his fingers apart to make sure that he can't snap, um, and he headbutts her, and she doesn't even flinch, right? Um, but then he, he has a smart idea of pulling out the power stone, blasts her away, he pulls on the glove fully, and, like, you get that moment of, um, Doctor Strange looking at Tony Stark and he holds his finger up as to like imply that this is the one in the 14 million. Yeah, because um, earlier on when they're all back and him and uh, uh, Tony and uh, St- uh, Stephen are next to each other, um, they have a, a dialogue um, and he says like, is, is this the one chance? And, and uh, Strange says like, if I if I told you if I if I tell you anything it won't happen to paraphrase yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's such a cool moment in this one because it feels like it's music the, the music's going but like it, it's like wordless mm. Mm. and he just holds his finger up and then um, this is the point where um, I'm not I I don't know if I missed something here or but Tony ends up with the, like, that somehow the stones get from the gauntlet onto Tony's glove. And I think that's something to do with the, um, the, um, the nano machines, maybe. Well, it's just nano machines, but yeah. what it is, yeah. it's like, you also, you're, you're underselling these moments by going straight <laughs> to, like, the, the bolt. But, like, there, there's some, there's some cool, like, stuff happening around that, because, like, mm. um, he, like, Tony jumps in, 
um, to, uh, and it looks like he's trying to stop the click as well. Mm. And he grabs, he's gra- grabbing on to the gauntlet. Uh, and then the camera switches so it's up so he can't see what's going on. And then Thanos knocks him away. And then Thanos is so, uh, so in some hubris at that moment, doesn't feel anything, doesn't check, and uh, doesn't realize the power's gone or anything like that. And then we have that moment as the camera comes in and he has his line, I am inevitable. And he yeah. clicks. And, and nothing happens. Clunk. Yeah, yeah. Clunk. And then he immediately flips his arm, uh, flips his hand around to look and. The shock on his face is such good animation. Mm. Uh, <laughs> the genuine surprise of it. Yeah. Like, he's like, how the fuck did this happen? And then it cuts to Tony like on his knees. Like, not even... like In the way that we saw uh, when in Infinity War when Thanos puts the gauntlet on and he vis- like visibly reacts with physical pain or like flinches. Yeah. The same with Hulk, like has that flinch moment where it like it surges through him. We see Tony and we see the stones like crawl up using the nanotech, like crawl up into his Iron Man glove. And he just gets like this really subtle moment of like power surging through him. It's not like a painful like a like a convulsion. It's more just like a I don't know, just you can feel the power going through him, but he it doesn't affect him. And he just yeah. has this look on his face. So watching this in Dolby Atmos was amazing because he does that moment where he he clicks his fingers. He says, "I am Iron Man." Clicks his fingers, and there's like a cracking, like uh, like thunderous sound, and it flashes to white. And I I can't exactly recall what happens next. Like it flashes to white. We get the sound, and do we see like the reaction on Tony first, or do we start seeing? Thanos' forces slowly disappearing into dust. Yeah, if I remember correctly, directly after the Flash, I believe we start to we see um, like the battlefield. And hmm. oh yeah, because what's happening is that one of those Leviathan whales is going into rocket. Into rocket, yeah. And then it hmm. just disintegrates into ash. Uh, Everything and- just starts to just like slowly fall apart and it's silence and it's kind of it's basically the ending of infinity war yeah on the opposite side on opposite and there's a lot of mirrors with that as well yeah Yeah. like um uh, proxima midnight and uh is ebony more the one of the hood yeah like reach reaching out to him uh, yeah yeah they're in a they're in an almost similar way to um how uh vision and wonder were Mm. like their positions um uh, d- 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 uh, no. Ebony Moore is the one who took Doctor Strange, right? Yeah, the 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 magician dude. Yeah, so him, yeah. his his thing is that he's kind of holding his sides in a, in a, a way quite like um, Bucky or Peter, and mm-hmm. he's like walking towards Thanos, um, like slowly disintegrating, like in pain. Mm-hmm. It's like there's a lot of good callback to to like what happened to the characters that we cared about when they got disintegrated. And a lot of that's happening in the background as well, like cuz I missed yeah. that the first time round, but I paid attention to the background more the second time. Um, but yeah, um, there's a lot of yeah. silence and it's slow it basically ends it pans back to Thanos who is I don't know just like really distressingly quiet about it all like he's he's not raging, he's not shouting, he's not even doesn't even have a look of shock on his face. He just seems resigned to the fate that is about to happen to him. And he and sits down. <laughs> yeah, he sits down relatively calmly and then just disappears into dust. And uh, then we get the, the moment where Tony Stark is kind of like a little bit crispy. 
a little bit crispy. So it, it cuts to Tony, and in a, a, what I think is quite a, a shocking edit, like, it pans to him, and we see, like, half of his body having been, yeah, as you say, burned to a crisp. Um, yeah. But, like, also just the, the shock on his face, the look on his face, like, how distant he's observing. Almost catatonic, yeah. Yeah, catatonic from the reaction that he's, you know, of the gauntlet on his body. And, like, the first one, the first person we see who comes to him, it's not, it's not Peter. There's somebody there before. Rody. Rody, yeah. And he's putting his hand on his head, and then Peter comes down and says, we, we won, Mr. Stark. Like, we, we did it. And I love the fact that Pepper kind of has to pull him away to be able to get her chance to yeah. talk to him. Also, to, to briefly relate that to a scene that we uh, forgot to talk about, mm. it's the sequence where Peter and Tony uh, reunite after mm. that, and mm. uh, Peter's just speaking at Miles Bauer, sort of giving us an idea of what the experience was like for them. And Peter just goes in, um, sorry, Tony just goes in for the hug. And it's obviously a callback to uh, Homecoming, but it's it's really, like, just, that's a choke, that, that sequence choked me up. That was a brilliant <laughs> sequence. So when it, going back to this sequence, and it's the flip of Infinity War where, um, uh, well, kind of, I mean, Peter's still the one who's just mega visibly distraught, but it's mm. so raw, uh, like, it's so messy and raw, like, as you say, Pepper mm. has to pull him off. Like, it's just... It's not um, conservative grieving at all. It's uh, mm. it's it's horrible. It's blubbering. Like he's he's visibly distraught. Um, but I like that Pepper gets to have her moment with Tony and says, yeah. like essentially says, we're gonna be like she's smiling at him, saying we're gonna be okay. And we know that it doesn't mean that it doesn't include Tony. Like when she says we, she means everybody else. Like. Because what did she say? You you can rest now. You can rest. Ca- yeah. Calling back to that thing of like, you'll be safe. You can rest now. Yeah. Yeah, because earlier in the film, when he's asking her, "Should I use this time travel device that I've just figured out?" and she's like, "Well, if you did, would you, if you got rid of it, would you be able to rest?" and she gets to say to him, "Now you can rest." And I I, I just think that's a really like that got me choked up. Like, yeah. Just, he finally got he he did yeah. the thing that he'd been trying to accomplish forever, despite being such a selfish guy, after he had his revelation in Iron Man 1 that he needed to stop developing weapons for yeah. weapons' sake, um, and he got to be a protector, and, yeah, it's just his final unselfish act to sacrifice himself for the good of everybody. And that's the thing, like, as his, uh, the nano, because it's not really the reactor anymore, but it's still mm. linked to his life, as um, that, like, fades out and uh, we know he's dead, like, Pepper keeps it up until that light goes out and then she fully breaks down and kisses him. Mm. Like, it, there's, there's so much going on um, there in terms of um, people doing what they need for, for other characters. It's quite beautiful. Mm. And um, uh, Helen O'Hara from Empire made a really good point about that sequence. And those three people who are around him are wearing Stark armour and it's like a thing that mm. uh, the people that Stark loves, he wraps them in armor, protect them. <laughs> and it's like, it is a really cool detail thinking about it in that way. That's really interesting. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that. But you're right. Like, he developed all of the things that are protecting them. Huh. Yeah, cool. Rhodey and, yeah. And from there, we kind of get the soft transfer to his to his wake um, yeah. and his funeral scene. Unless I'm forgetting something in between. No, yeah, no. I think it goes straight to the the weight, and we get to see, yeah. So we get to see like the basket which gets placed into the water, which has 
um, his first arc reactor, which in Iron Man 1, Pepper puts in a glass cage and says, proof that Tony Stark has a heart. And that gets placed into the water and, like, pushed out. And we get that really slow, languid, like, really... Before that, though... Mm. Uh, we have the scene where they're indoors watching the video, the hologram video he recorded. Yes, yes, oh, sorry, yeah. I thought it was afterwards, yeah. Where he's left a recording from the day before they do all yeah. the time travel shenanigans, yeah. And it's kind of like his goodbyes in case everything goes wrong. Mm. And even in that, he has some hubris. He's yeah. like, well, everything's going to turn out okie-dokie. Yeah. But I like that even in the hologram, like, he, he leans down and looks what happens to be, like, directly into Morgan's face and says, I love you 3,000. I guarantee there wasn't a, a dry eye in the thing. Yeah. Even you, Greg, even you with your with your husk shell of a heart, um, I'm, I guarantee you had a glimmer of, of wetness in the corner of your eye at that point. I didn't. Oh, mate. I didn't cry. <laughs> I almost cried um, at the very end when I thought they were going to reverse it. Because when Cap went back in time and... Because you, you get the whole funeral scene and everyone's like they put the the uh, the arc reactor into the water, and then uh, they have to return the Infinity Stones. Well, um, I mean, before that, we get we get the very slow shot of like every everyone. the most expensive yeah. shot in the whole of um, like Marvel's cinematic history, where it's every single um, celebrity like on screen panning yeah. back and forth between them, ending with. Um, like the the weird teenager who nobody recognised until they I recognised him. I didn't until they realised it was complete... the kid from Iron Man three. From Iron Man three, um, and then yeah. it ends up on Captain Marvel, and then um, Nick Fury yeah. comes into shot and just like eyeballs the camera um, with like a, a really grim look on his face, which seems more angry than upset. But you know, fair enough. Who am I to argue with Samuel L. Jackson's acting skills? Um, <laughs> and and then it goes into um, yeah. Sorry, what what part were you going to say? The bit where um, Cap has to return the Infinity Stones to their rightful places in the timeline, um, mm. where he uses the Pintech to do that, and um, they send him back. And well, there's, the, there's the whole point where they're like, it, "Yeah, for for us it'll be like ten seconds, but for, for him, him it'll be long however long he needs." Yeah. Yeah. And he's gone, and then they're like he's supposed to be coming back and they're like wait he's shooting right past his his time point he's shooting right past mm. the point where he's supposed to come back and then all of a sudden we see like a silhouette on a bench and i'm like oh, please tell me they've not brought tony stark back <laughs> that was my first thought i'm like no really is yeah. that where your mind went <laughs> yeah please tell me that cap hasn't gone why, back in... why would you think tony like that seems set up in such a way where we know, like, Bucky knows what's going on because he says, like, I'll miss you. I just yeah. had it in, in my and head, every... yeah, that he's going to go back in time and he clicks, he's going to, like, Cap's going to put the gauntlet on and click instead or something and Tony's going to be back oh, alive. No. And I thought they were going to do, like, some switcheroo on me or something because Iron Man, but, and, and how popular Iron Man is. Like... Well, no, because I think the metatext thing is that we all knew that Robert Downey Jr. was sick of this role, and so was um, uh, Chris Evans. Not sick of it, but like they were both at the end of their contracts, they wanted out. Yeah, so yeah. this was go. This is always going to be the end of Iron Man and um, Captain America. And again, like like I've mentioned yeah. like three or four times now, it's the foregone conclusion, but they sell it in a really real mm. way. So like. 
as we've said, Tony really gets his payoff. Yeah. And I think this is an equally fitting end for Steve, where he gets to live the life that he lost all yeah, these I years. Know. Yeah, that, that was the bit I was coming to, because that's the, that's the bit that made me, like, well up a little bit. The fact, <laughs> the one bit in the whole film where um, Steve gets to go back in time and have have a life hmm. and, you know, not be encased in ice and everything else. And and we don't even get to see... I mean, because he does go through that experience. He's still the Steve that we knew who fell into the ice, woke up, you know, 50-odd years later or whatever it was, um, went through all of this stuff, then went back in time. And we don't get to see him enact that. We get to see him as an old man talking to um, talking to Falcon and passing on the uh, the Captain America shield onto him. Yeah. Um, which is a really nice moment that I'm yeah. not 100% sure I'm sold on because, and I was going to ask you this, Leon, because you've seen all of the MCU films most recently in a row, um, but do you feel like uh, like he earns that? Because as far as I remember, Falcon doesn't really have much to do in any, like I don't remember him as a icon in these movies the way that I think of like, even Bucky, for example. So, like, do you think that that moment was earned? Uh, I don't know about earned, um, because, like, it is what it is. But I, I think uh, the question is more as if it lands. And mm-hmm. I think in some ways it lands because those two do spend a lot of time together. The problem is most of it is off screen during the two years yeah. uh, between um, Civil War and Infinity War. But, like, there is... Um, like, you can see there's, there's definitely ways they've rubbed off in each other. Like, uh, Cap, Cap sees, uh, Sam doing the, um, the outreach stuff at the, uh, at the VA place. And, we, uh, late in this movie, we see Cap does that in his absence, uh, like, or just basically helping people. Um, uh, so there's definitely a connection there. I think the area, and, it, and the thing is, it, it works as a moment, because I think that old Cap does sell it, like, try it on, and then mm. he's like, uh, it, it it feels like it doesn't belong to me. Um, and then he's like, it does. And I think old cap sells it more. So I think the reason why it doesn't fully land is just that, uh, Falcon is really underwritten and hasn't had that as much screen time. Um, yeah. hasn't had as much charismatic screen time as, as you'd expect. Hmm. So that's why it feels a little bit flat because like Falcon is just, uh, has always been presented as like, a sidekick character who doesn't really have much of a personality. Hmm. His and, biggest uh, moments are in Civil War. Yeah, and he messes up in Civil War. But like, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think it doesn't fully land because it, the, the the writing before and the leader just ha- haven't uh, left um, him in a position where it feels natural or right. Um, but like, in some ways it works just i think the scene works but uh, but overall the passing of the torch doesn't feel organic hmm. or or organic like I, I can imagine in another reality where either different uh, falcons had more to do or it's a different actor or whatever where that scene properly lands and it's like a, uh, a full full crush but um i don't think it it reaches that home run hmm. I don't know. Um, I mean, I I think it's a nice moment, like the passing of the torch and whatever else. And and I like how the film ends with Cap dancing with Peggy. And that's the very final shot of the film before we roll to credits. 
Yeah. And that's it. There's no after credit scene. That is it. We do get some interesting credits, which yeah. I'm not 100% sold on, but there's like, you get the, the initial credits straight after that where it's like soft, um, curtainy sort of backgrounds. And then we get the kind of cool moment, which I kind of liked. I've heard a lot of criticism about it, but where we get to see the original six Avengers, um, their actors with like their, their shadowy profile comes into shot yeah. and then their signature overlaid on top of them. And then it ends with Robert Downey Jr. And I, there was even a bit of applause in our theater for that one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, kind of, kind of cool. I like the credits in this. Yeah. If you stay, not... if you hmm. stay till the very end of the credits as well, hmm. you get to hear like a clanking noise. Yeah, and that's yeah, the which... sound of Tony making his first suit from the first yeah. Iron Man film, which is kind of cool. Nice full circle and yeah. like reinforces the bookends of yeah. Iron Man being the instigator for this whole thing, and then yeah. ending on this bookend. Yeah, yeah. Twenty two movies, and Cap finally gets to have a life. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I, I, I really enjoyed that ending. Like that was that was the best way this could have ended for me. And I'm I'm glad it went the way it did and I'm glad that Cap got his character his his resolution. You know, he got to do he earned it was earned for him, wasn't it? You know. I hundred percent. I think that yeah. worked that landed so well for me. Yeah, definitely. And that, that was my favourite part of like the whole film in the way that it ended, the fact that Cap got his his happy ending which i quite liked mm. and uh yeah overall i i thought it was an excellent film i mean obviously you know there are there are you know it's not perfect but it was good it was great um and i i need to see it a second time because hearing you guys talk about it there's obviously a lot of things that i missed and were wasn't <laughs> able to properly articulate because this conversation felt very, from my point of view, it felt like you guys were doing most of the heavy lifting just now. <laughs> I'm interested to see how it how it ages yeah. as we get more and yeah. more removed from it. Because, mm. like like I mentioned, there are some negatives in it that I don't think uh, will get better. But then, uh, like op- the opposite to that, as I say, as I said before, like each of the MCU movies gets better the more I watch it. So mm. I'm interested to see as it permeates more and more pop culture and as we watch it more and more times, and as we move on to the future of the MCU, yeah. um, I'm interested to see how, how this one um, yeah. holds up. I do have um, like thoughts that are related to what I was saying before uh, on my on the last episode about how I feel that these films, uh, how they how they treat certain characters, um, how they sort of undo the good work done in their solo movies. And I've got a lot to say about Captain Marvel in this, but I don't have the time. So we'll bring it up on a, on a future episode, maybe yeah. maybe an After Dark or something. Yeah, there's plenty yeah. we missed, and we don't have the opportunity to go over because we spent so long just picking through this. And I think there's plenty, plenty for us to to discuss in the future. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that has been the Ace Comicals Endgame spoiler special. <laughs> And I think we we've pretty much exhausted that film, like wrung it out. As well, we've not totally wrung it out because, like you say, there's things that we need to bring up in future episodes and things like that, which we will do. So, uh, pull this time, I guess, um, for a pull list that I have compiled for sort of the next two weeks of comics. Um, so, comics that will be available when this podcast releases. So, things that you will be able to read uh, or that will be on the shelves. Uh, at the time you are listening to this podcast um so we'll start off so this is stuff that is coming out on the 8th of may 
2019 and we have um for me i've got batman and the outsiders number one which i've talked about a previous episode my excitement for return of batman and the outsiders uh that is going to be pretty cool we have ice cream man number 12 which is the next part of the is it hopscotch melange arc ray no i'm honestly not sure but that sounds right yeah yeah um and that that looks like it's going to be something pretty awesome um we have uh murder falcon number eight which i think is the conclusion of murder falcon we talked about murder falcon on previous shows go back and check it out here as blab about that because it's absolutely fantastic these savage shores number four which we had a um we were given a review copy of and we reviewed that on the last episode so you should go back and check that out and you should read these savage shores because it is a great book and um i think we do a lot of shouting about that one don't we ray yeah, I'm a big fan of it, and I feel like I need to maybe tone it down a little because I'm, a, I'm <laughs> fanboying over it a lot on Twitter these days. <laughs> oh man, don't tone it down; it's fine. No, I love it. I think it's let great. it out. Yeah. Let it out. Let, <laughs> let the let the fanboy flow. Um, Ray, where are we with you for the eighth? Uh, you've covered Ice Cream Man and the Savage Shores. I was going to add to that the trade paperback for. Uh, Blackbird is going to be coming out on the 8th. What have you got for the 15th, Greg? Uh, For the 15th, I have um, just a couple of things. Sabrina the Teenage Witch number 2, which is the continuation of the new Sabrina book that we were talking about on a previous episode. A couple of episodes ago now, that is. Me and Leon were loving that. And uh, I have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder in Hell number 3, which uh, is something that I've been enjoying very much. And uh, Ray, you got anything for the 15th? Again, another trade paperback, uh, something called Frendo, which is a um, a vault comic book that I'd been intending to read in issues, but I didn't get around to, so I'm going to be picking that up on trade. Damn. Yeah. So, uh, that has been a marathon episode of Ace Comicals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's... Almost, yeah. It's good because, like, I've missed, like, three episodes, so I think I've made up for it in this one. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, so that is uh, Ace Comicals episode number 61, the Avengers Endgame special. You can find us at www.acecomicals.com, which is kind of the hub for everything. Uh, on there, we have links to Apple Podcasts, Castro, Overcast, Pocketcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. Uh, you can find us on Twitter under Ace Comicals. We are on Facebook at uh, under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Instagram at Ace Comicals. Uh, Ray, where can we find you? On Twitter at Monke. That's at M O O N K E H. And you can find me uh, on Twitter, and that's at Bato uh, B A T T O U. And Leon. Um, where can we find you? Uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter, uh, at Leon Everett. And uh, you can send us questions, get involved with the conversation, DM us on Twitter, DM us to the Ace Comicals account, at us, whatever you like. Uh, just get involved. Uh, we have an email address if you want to send us an email, and that is acecomicals at gmail.com. That has been Ace Comicals. Ace Comicals, over and out.